welcome back to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly talk shop here of movies, TV, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Birthday Boy. <laughs> yes. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. You keep saying talk shop? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, people talk shop. Yeah, people talk shop, but there's not a place called the talk shop. Uh, well, maybe not where you live. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for joining us. This is the Media Boat Podcast. It is March the 11th, 2023. Yeah, you know, some yes. people have birthdays today. It's weird. Uh, yeah, happy birthday, Lisa Loeb, and happy birthday, Rupert Murdoch. Ew. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Those are my birthday buddies. Like, what are, what are the odds, right? Like, yeah, you, know, you lose, win some, you lose some. Um... This is episode 374, and we have a long one, so we're just going to race right through to it. Yeah. Uh, this is our Oscar prediction show, so yes, if we'll you there. want to hear what our Oscar predictions are, they're going to be at the end of the podcast so, when we get to movies. Yeah. So first, we always do music. And we start the music with the billboard, and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, The weekend. He's back uh, with the number one, but it's not a new song, exactly. No. It's the one with Ariana Grande, Die For You. So, Die For You was on a previous album. Uh, Ariana Grande was not originally on it. This is a remix featuring her. Mm -hmm. And it shot up to number one as soon as it was released. Yep, and congratulations. I saw him put out the tweet like, hey, we did it again. (laughs) Yeah, we did it again. (laughs) So, The weekend, making old songs new again. Uh, Number two, Flowers by Miley Cyrus. We'll talk about that album a bit later. We will. At three, Kill Bill by SZA. Mm -hmm. At four, Boy's a Liar, part two by Pink Panthers and Ice Spice. And rounding out your top five, Last Night by Morgan Wallen. Still there. But where he's not is in the Billboard 200. Yep. So let's go to the albums chart, the Billboard 200. At number one, Manana Sara Bonita by Carol G. Yeah. New number, uh, debuting at number one this week. At two, SOS by SZA. Mm-hmm. At three, Cracker Island by Gorillaz. Yep. Uh, I think debuting there as debuting well. Debuting and everything. At four, Afterlife by Yeet. Yeet. And rounding out your top five, Midnights by Taylor Swift. Yep. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. Mm-hmm. Starting with I Love You, But This Is Goodbye by Princess Nokia. <laughs> yep. Uh, 10,000 Gex by 100 Gex. Yes, their follow-up to 1,000 Gex, which was the last record. <laughs> and they just going to keep adding zeros. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just one million Gex eventually. Uh, Fantasy by M83. Yes, yes that, that M83. M83. Uh, Songs <laughs> of Surrender by U2. Yes. yes, that U2. And in case you haven't been following along, this is their album of re-recordings of their old songs so there's no new new material on this just reimagined versions of existing youtube material and we also have five or v uh by unknown mortal orchestra yep praise a lord who choose but which does not consume or simply Hot Between Worlds <laughs> by Eve's Tumor. Eve's Tumor. I just wanted you to read that whole thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is a very long it's title. Very weird. AKA Hot Between Worlds. Yes. But uh, we move from uh, that uh, silliness to a, a sadder story. Yes. Which is actually a story from a couple weeks ago 
I uh, did not miss it. I was just waiting to see where it went. Uh, so, let's, so let's 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 go to New York. Yes, Rochester, New York, where rapper Glorilla um, had uh, several deaths in his concert. Her her deaths. Yeah, her concert at her concert, um, and death toll has now risen to three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, police, uh, New York City, New York police reported that another critically injured woman died Wednesday night, three days after Sunday night's deadly crowd stampede. Uh, This was similar uh, to the Travis Scott situation, um, in which people were trampled uh, by a crowd. Mm -hmm. The third fatality, um, a woman, a 35-year-old woman of Syracuse, uh, well, sorry, it was a 35-year-old woman Mm -hmm. uh, in, in Syracuse, her death followed that of two other women who were caught up in the crush, both of whom died on Monday. Mm-hmm. Those victims, uh, let's see, were a 33-year-old woman from Buffalo and a 35-year-old woman uh, from Rochester. Mm-hmm. Seven other people had been hospitalized following the melee. 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 <laughs> okay, Smash Brothers. <laughs> uh, following Glorilla's performance at Rochester's Main Street Armory, but none of those injuries were said to have at the time been life-threatening. Authorities have not provided an update on whether or not any of those concertgoers were still hospitalized. Yeah, like I said, the parallels to the Travis Scott thing are are a lot. There's uh, mm-hmm. less few fewer people affected, thank God. Uh, but yeah, it definitely struck me as similar. Um, and yeah, it just goes to show it's like where where was security? Like, there's a lot of questions to ask about this situation. And I believe it's still developing. You're right. So, it does evoke that of the Travis Scott. Yeah, it's a similar. World. It's just, it's, it's rough. It's like, you should be, you should feel safe when you go to a concert. You should be able to go and feel protected and feel like nothing, you know, your life isn't going to be threatened suddenly. Uh, and since that's not the case, um, it's depressing. And this, if this continues to happen, and it might, um, like, well, like, there has to be some movement here. There has to be mm-hmm. some protections uh, for people who uh, are at risk at these concerts. So, just sad just and disappointing. Yeah, I mean, you go to a concert, you expect to have fun. You don't expect <laughs> to not come back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. It's real rough. Yes. Um, not as, or not as rough, rough for most people, but I guess rough for one person. Rough for one person. Um, well, she was just nominated for Best New Artist. Yes, yes, she was. Anita. Yes. Well, she's in a feud with her label, Warner Records. Mm-hmm. So they have long been involved in a public dispute over uh, Anita's desire to have her contract terminated. But the dispute has grown increasingly hard to ignore in these past few weeks as Anita has taken her issues directly to fans on social <laughs> media. So on March 8th, Anita uploaded a series of explainers to her Instagram story that started with a repost of the label's use of her image or post in celebration of International Women's Day. <laughs> Anita has been expressing her anger both on Instagram, where she posts in English, and Twitter, where she uses Portuguese. Uh, quote, communication at Warner is so good that they're posting me on a Happy Women's Day looping post, even though I had to go public to ask for the women respect that this state represents. The singer wrote in her first post saying that the Warner post was, quote, using as background uh, the song they said would never break without a feat 
Without a feature. Feature, yeah. Because I wasn't strong enough for that. Damn. Uh, the reference was to the song Envolver, or they pronounced Envolver. Envolver, yeah. Yes. Which is a major hit in many markets in 2022, with Anita alleging the label didn't believe her own pop star uh, was sufficient without a feature from a bigger guest artist. Ouch. Yeah, um... This goes to show you how sometimes that there is like a disconnect between what the labels actually do with their artists and how the artists are actually treated. This kind of came out um, uh, last year with the uh, dispute that a lot of artists were having over um, uh, uh, about uh, masters, owning their masters. It's mm-hmm. the thing that Taylor has been talking about a lot too. Or like using TikTok um, for promotion uh, being forced to put up TikTok numbers with big, like big numbers in order to release singles. Yep. It seems like the major labels have a real problem with um, communication. Is what it, all of this seems to seems to say, and it sucks. Well, it's either communication or it's more of like control. Yeah, uh, they want to have their influence so they can point to say, "Well, we did this." Yeah, instead of having an artist be there and they're just part of a release. Yeah, the distribution method, and it sucks because artists like Anita, like they're just breaking through. Like she should be, you know, enjoying like the beginning of a big career internationally. And the fact that she feels like she doesn't have control over her own career, well, over her own image too. Yeah, so she's trying to get out, and they won't even let her terminate the contract. It's yeah. like it seems like a mess, and I hope Anita figures out a, an escape. So this is why you include a buyout clause. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe she didn't have like a say in what the contract was, right. is my guess. Yeah. Um that may have taken place with people above her. It just sucks. It just sucks all around for Anita. Uh I wish her well in, in the in the seeking out better terms. Anyway, and her butt. Yeah, and we'll see what happens over the the, the rest <laughs> of this year. And her butt. And her butt. Yeah, don't forget her butt. Yes. All right. Speaking of butts <laughs> and it being shaken all over the world. Sure. Sort of. She did that once. Yeah, she did that once. She's, she's past it now. Yeah. Miley Cyrus uh, is currently going on an endless summer vacation. Yeah. And wants to bring us along. So the narrative for this record is that, hey, Miley Cyrus, this is her first like uh, record in a few years. She's like gone back to pop. The narrative is that she's this is her most personal or most controlled that she's had on a record yet. Mm-hmm. Flowers, the lead single, has been huge for her. It's been her longest reigning number one hit. It is still, uh, well, not this week, but it was number one for a very long time. Still in the top five. Um, and yeah, uh, she's riding on a peak of popularity right now. And um, congratulations to her. The album's out uh, and we listen to it and I don't know, it's fine. So not only did the album drop, it also got a video yeah. backyard session on Disney Plus. Same right, day. Right. So which version did you watch or listen to? I did not it? watch the thing. I forgot that it existed. Okay. I listened to it All right. uh, by itself. Uh, keep in mind, I just think I even think Flowers is just an okay song. I think it's got a good hook, but like it's kind of it's kind of just middling for me. The rest of the album felt, followed suit with that feeling um mm-hmm. it seems like there's some good ideas i did um like one of the songs in the back end i forget which one um like it seems like a pretty good there's times where it seems like she's doing some gaga cosplay and i was like all right this is interesting but not really your range 
Um, it just seems like it's she's trying to not necessarily chase trends, but chase a vibe. It's a very vibey record. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Lord's uh, Solar, Power, Solar Power, where it was just like it stays in kind of the same vibey range the whole time, and there's moments where it breaks out from that. And I don't know, maybe it was, uh, I was listening to the Dolby Atmos uh, mix on my AirPods, uh, and maybe that's why it didn't really come across super great. The mix seemed a little muddy, so maybe I should give it another shot. But my first impression with it was, eh, it's kind of boring. I didn't really gel with it either. I watched the T- the uh, Disney Plus version, yeah, where she it does go into a bit more of the backstory of like the songs what she was feeling at the time, yeah, yeah. what they're kind of referencing, kind of like the the Olivia Rodrigo thing, yeah, okay, yeah, kind of the same thing. Uh, but it's what's the full title here? Uh, backyard, backyard sessions, sessions? Yeah. yes, okay. in reference to the Long Pond sessions, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know Disney's got a brand that they're all sessions, yeah, they're all sessions. <laughs> Uh, except this was was more wasn't quite like a session of where the Taylor Swift one was. Right. We're in a studio. We're doing a session here. This was more felt like music video esque. We're gonna put you up in a backyard overlooking L.A. and you're just gonna uh, sing, yeah. sing your new album, and then we'll do side interviews in between each song. It was fine until she does the climb at the <laughs> end, and then you realize. Oh, yeah. She is a really good senior. Yeah. Why did the reps to this album not sound like this? She's, yeah, it's not, she's not in singer, singer mode really here. Um, and when she is, like you said, it sounds like other people. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like her. Like, she has songs that I think people would point out and be like, oh, she has pipes. Uh, that's one of them. Wrecking Ball is another. Yep. It's like she's proven that she can big, write big pop songs. These aren't really that. No. Um, it's a little low key. And. I think that'll work for some people. Like I said, it's very trendy. It's very vibey right now. And I'm like, but for me, I get, I don't know. It wasn't what I wanted from, from it. But honestly. You can understand it, but also not like it. But honestly, I've never really liked any of Miley Cyrus's records. So like, I feel like I'm like still waiting for the one that gets me. Well, yeah, she's a single queen. <laughs> sure. Whatever that means. She puts out singles. Out of four um, I thought you were talking about like she's a single queen. Like she's like that's whole plot of flowers, right? Which is like she doesn't need anybody. She's got herself. Well, yeah. That's why she buys herself flowers. <laughs> yes, exactly. So both can be true, I guess. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Um, hey, she's just being Miley. <laughs> forever. <laughs> that meme will forever live. Yes, because she's be. always just being Miley. And if you want to go on a summer vacation with her... <laughs> Go for it. it. Go for it. Go for it. Her and Lord can have fun. Let's move on. <laughs> yes. Because I don't think we listened to anything else, right? No. Okay. All right. So let's get... Oh, no. Oh. I talked about that last week. Okay. Good. Uh, so far. Check. Yep. And weekend. Check. Come on. Let's go into video games. As we're rolling right along here. And we need to because yes. <laughs> we start with new releases. Yes. Um, we, uh, we have The Legend of Heroes, colon... Trails to Azure. I thought if I'm reading this name, Switch, Switch and PC. Yeah, so if I'm reading this name correctly, I believe this sounds like a crossover between two disparate versions of the Legend of Heroes franchise. Because I think it's the Trails, Trails of Cold Azure. Steel, and then I think something Azure. I forget what it is. Yeah, we had an Azure before. I could be wrong. So feel free to yell at me in emails, mediabookpodcast at gmail.com. If I'm wrong about this, this might just be a Trails sequel. I don't know. Either way, these seem impenetrable uh, RPGs. So yeah, not not my thing. But here's another one. We also have Alice Gear Aegis CS colon 
Concerto of Simulatrix. 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 No idea what this is. Simulate. Simulatrix. Simulated Matrix. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Smash together. Uh, for the PS4, PS5, and Switch. Mm-hmm. There's also Anno getting a uh, bump yeah. to the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Strategy game. Uh, Bayonetta Origins, colon, Cereza, and The Lost Demon for the Switch. This is an adventure game spinoff with Bayonetta games with mm-hmm. young Bayonetta. But everyone get out of the way for your big <laughs> release. <laughs> this is a big, big release of quotes here. Well, Maybe it's everything but the Switch. Maybe for you. You got it's, this game fly? It's is this everything coming? but the Switch. Is coming from the, the game fly? You getting this? Uh, no, well, I got to put the curfew back in the way first. Okay. Yeah, I, I need to as well. I, I uh, WWE you. 2K23. Hey. For everything but the Switch. There you go. Uh, this course coincides with WrestleMania coming up at the beginning of next month. I don't say at the end of this month, but <laughs> no, it's really it's, it's, they start on April first. It's not thirty first thing. Right, so. right, right. All right. So let's get some video game news. Yes, yeah, so I got two quick ones because uh, I knew we were going to be uh, time sensitive this week. Yep. All right, time to push it back <laughs> because uh, I think we figured that this was coming. Yeah, Warner Brothers is reportedly delaying Rocksteady's Suicide Squad kills the Justice League again, again to the second half of twenty twenty three. Following its negative response to a recent gameplay showcase, remember how we PlayStation. said, "Yeah, remember how we said, like, oh, that kind of looks weird." Yeah. What's up with the What's up with Suicide Squad? Every time they show it, it does not look fun. Yep. Well, apparently, everybody else agrees. Well, according to a Bloomberg source, uh, Warner has decided to push the title from its previously announced May release date until later this year. Suicide Squad: colon, Kill the Justice League is the next game from the creators of the Batman Arkham series, billed as a genre-bending action-adventure shooter <laughs> set in an open-world metropolis. This game was originally billed for release last year, but was eventually delayed to May of this year, and now holiday <laughs> of this year. There you go. Uh, so... Not looking good for the Suicide Squad. No, it's just, it's sad when you have this happen where it's like they put a lot of work into it, but still the fans online just don't see it. And so it's like, they just think like, oh, well, what else can we possibly do? I guess we put this back in the oven. I don't know. Like, so games like this usually do finally come out and they still get like, Mm -hmm. like just ignored. And yeah, I feel like that's the path ultimately, no matter what they do with Suicide Squad. And Ari has such bad press. I can't imagine a world where this thing comes out and blows people's minds. I just can't. Uh, the only way I could see it doing that is if it kind of end caps the DCU. in order Because that's what James Gunn wants. He yeah. wants everything to be streamlined. I don't even think that works, though. The timing is wrong. Because oh, yeah. that stuff hasn't even started. No, because it wants to like completely separate it. Which yeah. the Flash film coming out in the summer is supposedly doing... Making a clean cut. So if this comes out after it, though, it's like, the, here's your, like, epilogue for that half of the DC <laughs> films. Yeah. And, like, media and all of that. We're going to do our own stuff now from over here. Yeah. Only way I see that working. Yeah, I don't know. Like, And then you could say it's buggy because that universe is, like, falling apart already. <laughs> they needed this thing to come out when that movie came out. And so every time that it's delayed, it just feels, like, way too late. Yeah. Disappointing. What isn't disappointing, though, is our second story, which is uh, interesting. 
Yes, yesterday was Mario Day. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, March 10th, celebration yep. of Mario Day. And we got an update. Yes. To Mario Kart Infinite. No, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Okay, whatever. They, they throw it sideways and it's yeah. infinite. All right. Uh, the latest update for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe adds five new blank slots on the mm. character selection screen. The most notable addition in version 2.3, uh, .0, <laughs> if you want to be technical, uh, which is now available for download, is support for Wave 4 of its Booster Courses mm-hmm. packs uh, for DLC, which adds eight more courses to the game. Which reminds me, i got to check those out. The DLC also adds Birdo to the roster, Birdo, making it the first wave to add a new character since uh, since before it's been just the tracks. Right. However, rather than reorganizing the character select <laughs> screen in a way that adds Birdo cleanly, it game now added five kind of question mark spaces. So we're getting yep. new characters. So that's the question: five more characters. So. Mario Kart 8 is interesting because they've already opened the floodgates for characters outside of the Mario universe. You can play as Link. You can play as Animal Crossing characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So, let's dream draft it. Who who are the five that you put in Mario Kart? You put Pikachu in there, then. All right. Okay. Pikachu. All right. Kirby. Kirby. You put Kirby in there and have a Warp Star car. Yes. Um, who else? Who else would be good to say? Splatoon, just because they keep trying so to... There's already a male and female Splatoon, Splatoon characters. Yes. All right, so... It has to be Nintendo-specific, nice. though. Yeah, so, um, do you put, um... Just Pokemon Trainer, I guess? Fox. Oh, Star you Fox. You put Fox in there. Yeah. Um... You try to pull from, like, Street Fighter... Or, not Street Fighter, from uh, Smash Brothers, aren't you? Pauline. You put Pauline in there. Ah! They already have all the rest of the princesses. Yeah, they have Daisy. They have Daisy, they have Peach, and they have... Um, Ro- Rosalina. Rosalina. Just put Pauline in there. It's an easy slam dunk, especially because she's purportedly in the movie somewhere. Yeah. And then uh, they need one more. I need one more. Uh, uh, Chris Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chris Pratt. Put him in Mario Kart. Uh, I don't know. Mm, can I do one real quick? Samus, why not? Samus. <laughs> put Samus in. Oh, speaking of which, uh, speaking of Nintendo, while we're still on the subject. Um, the, the final trailer. Game Boy Advance Classic Metroid Diffusion is now available on the Game Boy oh. Advance Switch stuff. Um, so if you're paying for the expansion pass, that's a good one to play. I love Fusion. So um, Is this the one that they just remastered, too? No. Um, was that Fusion? No, that that's Prime. Prime, Prime okay. is the one they... No, Fusion was a Game Boy Advance game that came out the same day as Metroid Prime. Uh, and uh, yeah, I played both at the time, and yeah, Fusion's a good time. I like Fusion a lot. So if you haven't played Fusion, this is your chance. Let this be a PSA. Uh, All right, that's it for video games. Yes, uh, and we'll see what gets added to the roster in yeah. probably the next update, yeah. uh, Wave Five. Yeah, we'll see. All right, did you play anything? Uh, I'll be real brief. Um, Fortnite Chapter Four, uh, Chapter Four, uh, uh, Season Two started yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> They added some new stuff. It seems like there's a new, uh, there's new areas in the world. There's some new gameplay involving um, grinding on rails. Rail uh, grind, yeah. Or um, all those rail grinds in the late 2000s. Seems cool. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to play more Fortnite. Obviously. Uh, oh yeah, and Aloy's in the game. Uh, I because bought Aloy. I own be- Aloy now. I mean, you could have owned Aloy because she's coming to PlayStation Five. Yeah. Extra. Uh, it, well, uh, funny that you mentioned that. Uh, 
I don't need to have that service anymore after a package I got from my father last night. Oh, yeah, okay. I have a hard copy now. Of okay, Forbidden West. So I'm gonna finish it <laughs> at some point. Some point. We'll right. see. So um, I beat Kirby. You beat Kirby. I beat the um, Magalore epilogue. Return to Dreamlands. Return to Dreamlands Deluxe. Specifically yes. Specifically, what we're talking. Specifically, yes. The yes. new Kirby. All right. The new re-release of Kirby. All right. Um, wrapped it up. How do you feel in comparison to Forgotten Land? Still weaker. Yeah, it's still weaker. Yeah. Uh, even with the added Magalore stuff. Yeah. Um, not quite there. Not quite there. At least with the Magalore, it made me want to replay levels. Sure. If only to continue to level up Magalore. Yeah. But if you can't level them up, like, <laughs> completely the first run through and you have to replay levels, is it really that good? <laughs> no. No. So, yeah, just not a whole lot of replay value. In this. No. And then I did the, uh, started doing some of the mini games at the Magalore Castle. Yeah, they're not great. No, I, I played them through once each time. It was like, yeah, yeah. okay. That's One time's enough. Yeah, I, I don't need to, like, get four people and play all of these. No, absolutely not. <laughs> They're all quick games, like 30-second games tops. So, yeah, that's a so that's a Kirby game. That's a classic Kirby game for you. No wonder I don't like classic Kirby games. It's different. You it's, know, it's, it's, different. it's fine. They're fine, inoffensive, but, yeah, I don't imagine we're going to see this game pop up on our final lists. No. So, yeah, I'm going to probably go ahead and just return it. Same. Yeah. Um, and then I'm almost done with... Uh, the game that shall not be named. Oh, gross. Let's move on then and talk about something else. Let's move into the second half of the show and talk about television. We start television, of course, with the sports corner. And we are zooming through this, but hell, it's going to come to a grinding halt. Yeah, soon. it really is. But uh, so to start, I'm going to say something that you don't have on here. The World Baseball Classic has started. Oh, yeah, no, we talked about that last week. But I figured we'd talk about it now that it's actually right, Now that they're actually playing. Yeah, they're actually playing games. Yes. You can catch some of them on FS1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and MLB Network has some games as well. Yep. Um, so yeah, check those out. Some really good games so far. Otani has been smashing it in, for Team Japan. Yep. They took their first two games, and he's like, he's like, like four, four of seven or something ridiculous. He's just like <laughs> so good. He's on fire. Can't wait for the season. Um, Please so, don't burn yourself out. Yeah. Please don't burn yourself. Please out. don't <laughs> hurt yourself. Like that's the last thing we need. Um, so yeah, um, good games are happening and yeah, they're all really great. I watched a little bit of, um, South Korea versus Australia. Uh, you wouldn't think that that would be a good baseball game, but it was. I saw that the, um, spring training giants beat team USA. Yes. Yes. So it's still some gelling need to be done there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, and also injuries keep occurring. They just had to uh, replace a pitcher with angel's own Aaron loop. Uh, so loops in Oop. so yeah um yeah we'll see how the, the rest of the classic goes but um uh yeah it's been a good game so far yep anyway but moving on to hockey the boston bruins are currently on a 10 game win streak only have nine losses for the entire season are they headed to the stanley cup uh that is the very likely scenario i mm. think they're they're the favorite currently going into the playoffs, there's still about 15 games left. Okay. Um, reason is, I keep bringing this up for the Boston <laughs> Bruins, is because with that season, with that ninth loss on the season, they are officially no longer in contention for the best record ever. Well, yeah, but still, it's a pretty good record. It is. Well, I mean, 
Anytime you get under 10 losses in a right. season for any sport, it's, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Impossible in baseball. But oh, yeah. In everything else, it's probably like But even in hockey, the record yeah. is at eight losses. Yeah. So they hit nine this past uh, this past week. So, yeah. Congratulations to the Bruins. Uh, meanwhile, any yep. other hockey um, updates for us? So far, no one has officially been eliminated in the NHL playoff contention. Okay. Well, good. Can't say the same thing about the NBA, though. No. The, uh, so, so far... The Detroit Pistons, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Houston Rockets have all been eliminated from the NBA playoffs. Officially, can't uh, do their records, cannot make it right. to the playoffs. Flip side, who's hot? Who's hot? Um, Giannis. Well, I mean, yes, we knew that, but I mean, what teams? Oh, the Bucks. <laughs> um, the Knicks were on a nine-game win streak. All right. I think that recently ended, though. <laughs> Um, Lakers are just retired Paul Gasol's jersey. Okay. Hanging up there with Kobe Dow. So that was happening this past week. Mm-hmm. They're still struggling. Um, they're still yeah. middling. They're going to get yeah. a wild card, but that's because LeBron will will it, <laughs> to, force happen. it to happen. <laughs> yeah. He needs another playoffs. <laughs> he does not end seasons early. <laughs> no. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how that wraps up as NBA season starts to wind down. Yep. And... March Madness yes. starts to pick up. And then, yes, basketball in the college world is just about to heat up. You're right. Selection Sunday is tomorrow, so yep. get ready. Today, I think tomorrow as well, uh, mostly today as of this recording on Saturday, is conference championship games. Woo. So if you win, you get the automatic bid into uh, the selection. And then it's time for brackets. Yes. In the Big West, over here, we have a house divided. Ooh. As Calcet Fullerton will play Santa Barbara tonight. (laughs) Oh, shit. How did that happen? Uh, Because UCI choked. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? We can make fun of local schools all we want. Yeah, we can. All right, let's move on. Uh, Lastly in sports, though, controversy in football. Yeah, controversy. I mean, well, Bears fans are happy. Yeah. Uh, Bears fans fans are thrilled because the Bears have traded their number one draft pick to the Panthers, but in what they got back is the big deal, right? Yeah, the Bears gave one player away, the number one yes. pick. In return, they got <laughs> DJ Board, <laughs> receiver for the Panthers. Yes. Um, the Panthers' first round draft pick, uh-huh. which they now dropped from number one to number nine. Uh-huh. Their second round draft pick, uh-huh. and their first round next year. <laughs> so, do you think it was worth it for the Panthers? No. And that seems to be what everybody's saying. It's like, why would they take this deal? But sure. Not only no, not only would they like present this deal, because now the Panthers have the number one pick, mm-hmm. but they gave up the number one receiver. <laughs> Earlier in the season, they gave up uh, the their number one running back, Christian McCaffrey, to the Niners. Mm-hmm. And, lest we forget, this past season, they had both. They had to bring in both Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And now they're going for the number one pick. Which pretty much like guarantees you any quarterback yeah. in the draft. But do they do they <laughs> they can have three quarterbacks just hanging out? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Panthers, whatever. Do what you do. I don't know what you're do. doing, Panthers. Uh, but... We'll find out, I guess. Maybe they're playing the long game on all of us. <laughs> draft any defensive end number one pick. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Anyway. They're pulling a draft day on us. Yeah, maybe, yeah, for all we know. Draft day two. They're going to trade back to the Bears to get the number one pick, <laughs> to get their number nine pick again. <laughs> anyway, is there anything else in sports that we need to talk about? Uh, March Madness. Oh, PGA Championship. Oh, sorry, 
the players at the PGA mm-hmm. are occurring this weekend. Players this is play. the infamous hole 17, which is <laughs> sits on an island. I saw it. It looked wild. Yeah. Every year they play on this course and just that hole 17. You just look in that water, I'm sure it's just like a mountain of balls. Oh, yeah. So many balls underneath. Um, yes. <laughs> there, there's lots of balls underneath. <laughs> yeah, so many. So many. Uh... <laughs> How old are we? How old are uh, we? <laughs> I believe um, checks watch 33. Okay. All right, let's move on. Though. Now we're done with sports. Let's move into television news. A couple of quick hits this week. First up takes us to Saturday Night Live. But for once, a story about SNL here on the Media Boat Podcast isn't about the cast. No, it's about the crew. More specifically, the post-production editors behind Saturday Night Live. They are ready to strike and have set a deadline of April 1st. Barring an agreement with producer NBC Universal, the 12 to 20 editing crew members have announced that they intend to halt work and disrupt the show should bargaining sessions in their bid for pay inequities and health benefits continue to stall. The deadline comes after the group, which successfully organized with the Motion Picture Editors Guild as a part of Yahtzee Local 700, voiced aims to negotiate a contract in October. As previously reported, bargaining sessions have since taken place, but sticking points remain, notably around the issue of health benefits. And yes, just like last week with the BBC stuff, mm-hmm. um, dude, people need health benefits to live. I don't know if you know this, but like <laughs> here in the U.S., if you are not insured, you're shit out of luck. And uh, if you work on a show as big as SNL, it's ridiculous that you don't have the health benefits that could actually benefit you. Well, especially since they also worked during COVID. Right. It's absolutely batshit insane to me. They need this. I have 100% support them striking over this. And um, speaking of the BBC stuff, uh, it seems like that's going to go through. Yep. It seems like they're going to hit that first strike day. Uh, so look forward to that. That's that is uh, next week, right? Yeah, I think so. The 15th. Because, yeah, and you have already some yeah, uh, prominent radio hosts at BBC uh, standing in solidarity. Yep. Um, I saw a couple of tweets of hosts that are saying, hey, like, I love doing this show, but it's not worth it if I know what it's supporting. So... I'm going to strike along with my, my uh, co-workers. And I was like, hell yeah. It's great. Yeah, almost like they should do the same thing with Live Golf. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> mm. yeah, show them. Show them what for. But yeah. Uh, yeah so, no, this is good news. Good this news. is also why you get uh, union representation Yeah. Uh, together. Strike and solidarity. Yeah. And let's be honest. Lately, the best stuff on SNL is the pre-taped shit. The... Uh, the shorts, yep. you know, ever since Lonely Island, digital shorts have been great for them. And to lose the people who do that editing work is uh, so big of a loss. And so any time that they're striking and not available to work, they're going to suffer for it. And they're going to realize how valuable these people are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, support that for sure. Let's move on to our second story here, um, which takes us to Television City, uh, which, of course, is the Los Angeles studio complex where the price is right has been taped since 1972. Well, except no longer. Yeah, the daytime staple will be relocating to Haven Studios, a new facility in nearby Glendale, in which Fremantle is an investor with a long-term lease. Fremantle is also the lead producer on The Price is Right. And uh, several other shows. You've seen their logo a lot, I'm sure. Hackman Capital Partners, which brought which bought Television City for $750 million from CBS in 2019, 
is planning a $1.25 billion billion. Yes, billion renovation of the landmark complex. In addition to The Price is Right, it has been housing CBS's The Late Late Show with James Corden. Which it no longer needs to. Yeah, which is ending its run this spring. As well as The Young and the Restless, Dancing with the Stars, American Idol, and Real Time with Bill Maher, which are solidifying moving arrangements as well. Hackman's plan for Television City would raise the number of stages from 8 to at least 15, along with production support facilities and offices for rent. The four original stages built by CBS at the campus's launch back in 1952 would be preserved, though, along with other historical design elements created by Los Angeles architect William Pereira. At the time of the 2019 sale, CBS remained a tenant, keeping its television city-based productions in place until now. So this I, is temporary. I do be- it is, but I do believe that the studio is named the Bob Barker Studio, yes. so all that history of The Price is Right oh, yeah. won't be going away. No. If anything, they'll just make it a spot in a museum tour that they'll just do. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I've seen you, Warner Brothers, and your friends a lot. Right. I know it's, what you're up do. to. That's what they do. So yeah, um, this is just a temporary move. Um, I don't know if it'll affect the show that much. I can't imagine it would. Uh, um, but yeah, interesting nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, buried in here is the $1.25 billion renovation. Yeah. But yeah, Price is Right. Staple of television since oh, yeah. 1972. And yeah, and that was when it was relaunched, so it even goes back <laughs> further than that. So yeah, yes. uh, needless to say, uh, excited uh, to see what they do with Television City, though. That's a classic landmark mm-hmm. of television in Los Angeles. Uh, looking forward to see that new renovation. Yeah. All right, in the meantime, we have some thoughts on some television. Let's go straight into the one you already mentioned. Uh, what else do you, would you want to say about the Miley Cyrus Endless Summer Vacation Backyard Sessions on Disney+. Plus. Uh, like I said before, if you want to get more kind of behind the scenes, kind of more in-depth of what each song is about, what it's referencing, where she right. gets her inspiration from. Behind the scenes. A little behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, it's there. It's also only 40 minutes, so it's oh, not that 40. long. Uh-huh. Um, I think the long pop sessions were actually longer at an hour and a half. Yeah, I believe you're right. So yeah, it's there. It's 40 minutes. It's short. But also, if you just want to hear Miley Cyrus sing the climb at the end. <laughs> Do I? be like, yeah. This is why she sings. This is why we like Miley yeah, Cyrus. Uh, and the climb. what was she doing before this? Every time I hear anything that refers to the climb, I think of the climb, the song. Yes. Yeah. I just can't it's separate every time just climbing head. anything. It's just yeah, the climb. The climb. Like, I'm going climbing. You mean it's the climb. climb. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but we also have two other things. Um, we'll save the big conversation for last. So tell me about Hulu's, his, Hulu's Mel Brooks's History of the World Part 2. Part 2's is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is a sequel. Yes. Throw huge quotes in here. Sequel uh, to the 40-year-old film, History yeah. of the World, Part 1, uh-huh. by Mel Brooks. Yes. Uh, most notably about this sequel is that Mel Brooks isn't really in it. Well, no. He just does the voiceover for the uh, interstitials. Sure. And I'm sure he had, I'm sure he's written, he wrote a bunch for it. Yes. But... If you like Ike Barenthal and you like Nick Kroll, uh-huh. you're going to like History of the World Part 2 because they are everywhere in this and thing. And who's not in this thing? I've seen like clips and it seems like it's just star-studded, packed with celebrity cameos. Yep. The Almost the entire... It seems like if the entire have, cast of Abbott Elementary is in this thing. Yeah. If you have <laughs> a speaking line, you are from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I think basically Mel Brooks, they heard Mel Brooks was doing History of the World Part 2. Mm-hmm. Um, as like, yeah, sure. Television, of you want to work with, with Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks before he like 
is no longer here with us. So a couple of important notes. One, this is not a film like the first one. This is separated into parts and yes. is being released in, on Hulu over a period of time. Uh, it is currently all released. It was a one-week oh, okay. event one week. uh, released daily. Got it. Um, starting on Monday through part six, which was yeah. today, yesterday. Yeah. Start Sunday and today. And the second note is just like the first one. It is essentially a satire parody of the history of the world, as the yes. name implies, uh, both real and myth, mythological. Yes. Um, so does it pick off up where the part one ended? So while part one was more about European yeah. uh, world history. It's been so long, I barely remember it. This is kind of more modern, but also not really. Okay. Uh, I think the most common thread they go back to is the um, 1920s with the Romanovs. Okay, okay. Um, as Sorry, no, sorry, before that. 1860s with the World Civil right. War. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of one-offs within it, um, but there's also a lot of inter-spliced up timelines. Okay. So it's like, we'll talk, we'll, like, we'll do, they'll do a um, little short bit, go to some other stuff, return to that. End the episode. Yeah. Then pick up back with the other stuff. <laughs> so you have to kind of watch everything in order to like kind of intersplice the whole I story mean, that they're trying to tell. Not that the story really matters here. What matters here is, of course, the jokes. The jokes. It's the a history. joke machine. Yes. It's jokes per second. Yeah. No downtime. Everything is said to be a joke. Yeah. Everything is comedy. So the question is. Is, is it, it funny? funny? No. <laughs> okay, what, first of all, for Some context, parts are. Some what parts is are your funny. relationship with the Mel Brooks um, uh, universe? Do you typically like Mel Brooks Oh, yeah, movies? it's very random. Mel Brooks is notoriously for being random, very <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, very, I know what I'm doing here. It's self-aware very to self-aware. a certain extent. Yes. They're off, they often have characters talking to the camera and reacting th- yes. to things. It's very much like, we know we're in a comedy, we're going to be as broad as possible, we're going to be as weird as possible. Yes. And this is more of that. So, so, so yeah, like, are you more of a Spaceballs person, Blazing Saddles person? Where do you fall on the Mel Brooks uh, More Blazing spectrum? Saddles. Okay. okay. Um, just because, like, it's, well, I saw it when I was young, so it's kind of like the, the, the <laughs> right, nostalgia. nostalgia almost. Yes, yeah. nostalgia almost for it. Uh, but yeah, but History of the World... Uh, part one was never like one of my. No, it was not in our rotation either. Rotation. Well, I think part of it was is that I think my dad was very careful about like, okay, here's the ones I think it's okay for you to see, and here's the ones I don't think you should see. Yeah. I believe part one was on the ones that I did not see as a kid because he was like, mm, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, we watched the TV edit of uh, the rest of them, but we didn't even watch the TV edit of part one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, so with History of the World Part Two. Mm-hmm. It has a bit of a um, baggage to it. Okay. In that, I said this to you off broadcast, yeah. that um, we've had something very similar to this come out already, which is uh, <laughs> Drunk History. I mean, okay, to be fair, like, I get where you're coming from, from from that, but, like, obviously, part one did it first. Yes. And I think what Drunk is, Drunk History is a little bit different because you have the juxtaposition of the modern Dr- day characters that are telling the stories. Yes, and they're telling it in a very drunk yeah, setting. right. And, so they're manipulating they're, the story. Not only are they manipulating the story, yeah. but they're also like saying what the characters are saying. Which I feel like is a little different than this. This is more like, no, this is what happened. We're just going to make it funny. Yeah. 
but this is also celebrities dressing up to yeah, portray. That's true. In a very comedic take mm-hmm. of history. But uh, but, but I would also assume, in a very short yeah. um, stint. But I would also assume and hope that this is a little bit higher budget than than what Comedy oh, yeah. Central could pull off. Well, yeah, no, it's definitely higher budget yeah. than that. <laughs> that's that's good to hear. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I think if you go into this line, you'll find stuff that's funny. Okay. Um, you'll find stuff to chuckle at, but it's also stuff that I feel has been treaded before or sure. jokes have been made because it's history jokes. Yeah, you've seen this stuff done before. Yeah. Okay, well... I think part of the fun is watching it and be like, oh, that's from this person, or this person from that per- that that project. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, the fun here is seeing the celebrities, seeing the jokes, and see what they do with the cards that they're dealt. Because yes. you know what happens pretty much in all these stories. It's just a matter of, like, how are they interpreting it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it seems interesting. I'll probably check this out uh, when I have a lot of downtime. Uh, Each tomorrow. episode's about like 30, 35 minutes. Oh, yeah, it's easy. So digestible. It's very digestible. You can stop. I, mean, I think the breaks per episode gives you a good stopping point, too. Yeah, and the whole thing together could be a movie. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, I mean, it is if you have Hulu Plus. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, that's the thing the joke that took me out was they made a direct Hulu Plus oh, joke. That's funny. I was like, uh, you knew where <laughs> this was going the whole time. Oh, yeah, no. They're like, like, again, the man cannot. Keep himself from being self-referential. Yes. Just like he's always done this. Yep. Anyway. Let's move on, though. There's one last show we need to talk about. And unfortunately, we have to be brief about it. We could probably go and do a whole podcast about this show. Probably could. But uh, Poker Face. Uh, Not the Lady Gaga song. Ryan Johnson and... Ryan Johnson's and... Um, Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone's uh, mystery-solving epic has finally ended its first season. It's already been confirmed for a second. Yep. And and I, they also kind of set up that they could yeah. do this for five more seasons. Oh yeah, they could do. They set up that they could do this forever if they wanted to, yes. which is amazing. So I really, really enjoyed how they finished the finale here. I really, mm-hmm. I really liked how they set up for a new season, but also had that really nice feeling of tied up loose ends from the previous season. They addressed everything you'd hoped that they would address. Yeah. The cliffhanger between the the penultimate and this episode was amazing, and I was shocked with how they resolved that i was like wow okay like there's twist after twist which is what the show does best the through line from the first episode to the finale as well it just yeah looking back on it just what an incredible season of television this is absolutely going to show up on our top five at the end of oh for both of us for sure it's just amazing and and just to see like even when it's not ryan johnson doing the writing and directing it was still stellar Mm -hmm. you can tell that he hired a writer's room full of people that have his kind of same vision for the show, it all feels of a piece. It never felt out of like out of sync with each other. The story never felt like it was like none of the mysteries seemed like oh this one's too simple or this one's was too boring. They all were interesting and different enough where every episode was compelling. Every episode worked. If you notice the writing credits uh, throughout the season, you'll notice that Ryan Johnson wrote and directed the first episode, mm-hmm. wrote the second episode. Yeah. And then wrote the penultimate and the finale, but right. didn't direct. I think he only directed the penultimate. Yeah, he did not direct the finale. No, I noticed he, that. I was yes. like, wow, that's very confident where he was just like, no, I trust this he, other person to direct but this. But the fact that he didn't direct the penultimate was also just because uh, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in there. Right, and they're besties. <laughs> oh, so, they're yeah, totally besties. So, yeah. I mean, and a uh, beautiful favorite, or friend of the show, uh, <laughs> Dave Castaneda. Yeah. Yes. As well. Blew my mind when he showed up. I was like, What? <laughs> So, so yeah, it was, oh my God. Uh, 
fantastic finale. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, what, what what else is there to say about the show? You gotta watch. I mean, <sighs> the fact that it's behind the peacock, yeah, kind of pay you all. I'm hoping people are looking and getting peacock for this. Because I mean, I, I keep telling people to like if they have peacock or just like thinking about it, like yeah, just watch it for Poker Face. You can now that all episodes are out. You can get the one week free trial. Yes, it's and worth binge it. Watch it. It's worth it. Just watch all of it. Yes. Um. So yeah, I yeah, I'm sure we'll have an opportunity in the future to talk more about uh, Poker Face. Also, uh, we'll have your thoughts up. You should go in there and update it uh, with thoughts it. about how yes. it wrapped up, and then I'll post that this week yep. on the website. So go to um, mediaboatpodcast.com and check out Mike's thoughts about it sometime this week. We'll talk a little bit more about what we saw, we're watching on yes. Peacock. We'll get there. Before that, but yeah, is there anything else to say about Burger besides that it's really, really good? No, I think our top five at the end. Yeah, I think that's really all there is to say. They nailed the landing; it's fantastic, Mm -hmm. and I'm so excited to get more of this show. Yeah, I really like, especially with this finale, that when they do the um, reverse, back it up. Yeah, that's not from Charlie's perspective. Right? Yeah, it's neat. Yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, what was Benjamin Brad doing this entire time? <laughs> well, you find out. He's on some true detective shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time Christy was like, doing a Matthew McConaughey? I'm like, yeah, this is just true detective, yes. isn't it? So funny to yes. me. Uh, but yeah, so for the show, Christy loved it. Oh yeah, she she loved every Doctor second. Doctor loved it as well. Yeah, it's the the one, there's only one episode she didn't like. Okay. It was uh, the Hollywood one. Really? That was my favorite. I know. That was my favorite the whole season. I think because the guy like purposely like jumped off. And, I like, mean, yes. It's a little suicidal. Yeah. That happens twice. Yes. <laughs> so if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, don't maybe maybe skip those scenes. But like, yeah, that was my favorite of the, of the whole, whole thing. I mm-hmm. thought that was amazing. Anyways, let's stop talking about Poker Face, though. Can we not? I mean, oh, no, sorry. We, we have to. to. But yeah, we can't we because we have a big thing going. to tackle here. As we move on yep. into cancellations and renewals. All right. What am I no longer watching? Well, Netflix is bringing back class for a second season. Class is class back, is in, back session. in session. Thank you. Netflix is also bringing back Breakpoint for a second season and Full Swing for a second season. Those are both of, that's both their tennis and golf documentaries. Go. They're back. They will be back for a second season. We will get more tennis behind the scenes and golf behind the scenes. Well, there you go. HBO has confirmed that the fourth season of Barry will be its final season. That's not HBO confirming it. That is uh, Bill Hader confirming it. So we heard it from the source there. Shrinking on Apple TV Plus will get a second season. That uh, will be wrapping up in two weeks, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, two weeks. Because then after that, Ted Lasso starts back up. Yeah. And then lastly, HBO Max is bringing back Batman Caped Crusader. Or not bringing back. Confirmed that they are ordering two seasons of Batman Caped Crusader. Yes, this, was part, be, this is part of what was originally canceled. Yes, this is not actually, like, yeah, canceled anymore. This will premiere and will have two dedicated seasons for it, at least. Yes. Um, of course, yeah, there's a lot of questions about this. This is animated, right? Yes, this is the animated. So version. the question, of course, is who is Batman? Obviously, we lost Kevin Conroy this year. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's a lot of questions about what you do going forward with an animated Batman. I mean, we've had several Batman on screen that I'm sure would lend their voice to in yeah. animated a role. We yeah, just be yeah. like, put them in a booth for right. a couple days. There's a roster, roster of Batman. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, Batman fans, I'm sure, are excited to see another interpretation. Uh, what's Robert Pattinson doing? <laughs> yeah, what's Robert Pattinson doing? 
I'm always asking this. Uh, let's move on to the weekend box office numbers. Uh, or oh, sorry, to movies, and then we always start with the weekend box office numbers. Sorry, for a second, I thought we were already in movies. Well, we were talking about Batman. <laughs> yeah, it was going so fast. Your number one movie this week is Creed Three, debuting to fifty-eight million dollars. Congratulations to Michael B. Jordan, friend yep. of the show. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> number two, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, still hanging on with twelve million dollars this week. That's at one eighty-seven. Number three, Cocaine Bear, can't get enough of that cocaine. Eleven million dollars again this week. Forty-one million total domestic. So at least Creed Three did better than Cocaine Bear. I mean, hey, didn't didn't take a whole lot. Number four, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba dash to the Swordsmith Village. There's a lot. Ten million dollar debut this week. Uh, anime movie still charting in the top five. That is yet another Demon Slayer movie from yep. a last year's Mugen Train. There you go. Just keeps on trucking or training. Training. Railing. Uh, number five, rounding your top five, Jesus Revolution with another $8.5 million. That's at $30 million even. In case you're wondering what last week's other debut did, Operation Fortune with uh, Jason Statham and Aubrey Plaza. Oof. Way down at number seven with only $3.1 million. Now, I want to say this looks like a Netflix thing, so it might come uh, on Netflix soon. So maybe it's just it was never intended to do its money here. But still disappointing if you're Jason Statham. He just yes. does not put butts in seats anymore. No. Moving on to this week, though. Um, we Did we talk about these last week? I feel like we didn't. Uh, yeah. No, I always keep this week's up. Well, since we missed it last week, uh, Scream 6 uh, is this week's new release. Yep. Ride the train. Yeah, Ride the train. Come and ride it. Uh, oh, yeah. We did talk <laughs> about 65 and Champions, but I don't remember talking about Scream 6. Whatever. Uh, whatever. Anyways, so the, yeah, those are the movies this, this week. But next week, though, it's time to Shazam again. DC is pulling out all the stops because I've seen nothing but advertising for <laughs> oh, this Oh, yeah, thing. really pushing it. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is out this week. Yep, uh, after so. being delayed twice. Uh, it was supposed to come out last year. Uh, finally getting an April, or sorry, a March release. So, yeah, I guess if you're yeah. the one person who's been waiting for Shazam too, here you go. Here it is. This, uh, just keep in note that this is technically not going to be part of the DC movie going forward. It isn't, it isn't, right? Like, if it of. does well, it will be. Right. If it doesn't do well, they will can it. So, <laughs> so the oof, faith is in see. your hands. Yes, you. You, listening to this right now, yes, can decide whether Shazam uh, continues on or not. It doesn't need to. Not a big deal. Not a big loss. Let's move on to movie news this week. Uh before we get to our Academy Awards uh, predictions, which we will get to in a moment, we have a story about one of our favorites at Media Boat Podcast, A24. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because probably the Best Picture winner yeah, came it from, might it's going to come, come from A24. It seems like it. Well, they're already ready for their three films for their summer this year. The Nicole Holf, Holf Center, Julia Louis-Dreyfus reteam, You Hurt My Feelings. The Celine Song... Wait, Celine Song is a person? Oh, yes, okay. Celine Song. The Celine Song directed slash written title Past Lives. And this distributor's hot Sundance horror pickup, Talk to Me. So first up, You Hurt My Feelings follows a novelist, played by Dreyfus, whose long-standing marriage is suddenly upended when she overhears her husband give his honest reaction to her latest book. It's a movie about trust, lies, and the things we say to the people we love most. Sounds like a comedy. <laughs> yes, yeah, so funny. <laughs> 
Song's feature directorial debut, Past Lives, follows Nora and Hei Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends who are rest apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. Two decades later, they are reunited in New York for one fateful week as they confront notions of destiny, love, and the choices that make a life in this heart-rending modern romance. This might be the one that they're going to try and push for Oscars. Got it. Well, we'll see. Going wide is Australian horror title Talk to Me from Danny and Michael Filippo. This movie is in its midnight premiere or in its midnight premiere at Sundance spurred a bidding war with Universal and others before A24 won out. The log line for this one is when a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. This seems this sounds like it was supposed to be from Jordan Peele, but it's not. Yeah, but uh hey, sounds interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So we got uh so we got a comedy, a drama, and a horror all coming from 824. Something for everybody. I mean, a little genre for everybody. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as we're as we always note, 824 does not have a permanent streaming home. Right. Uh this was technically the other big story was Sony Basically denying that they own Crackle. At the yeah, well, so uh, we don't have one. Well, basically. they don't have the streaming service because they sold Crackle to uh, the Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. <laughs> yeah, they don't have the same kind that the other studios do, is yes. what they mean. They don't have a Peacock. They don't have a HBO Max equivalent. But because of that, because they're going to put out films anyways, they go then to the highest bidder. Right, yes. So that's just instant money coming into them. Um, same thing here with A24 when all of their films get released. Mm-hmm. Just instant money, write a check, get the film. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, at least, I'm sure they all do okay. They all sound interesting enough, so uh, hopefully they'll find their audiences. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to, though, the starring uh, part of this week's podcast, which, of course, you're going to be peel- eyes peeled to tomorrow night as the Oscar ballots are opened we find out who the big winners are, who gets the trophies this time. Well, in anticipation of that, just like every year, we have our own Media Boat Podcast predictions to share with you today. Now, do I want to go through the predictions first or the movies first? Because we watched some of these nominated films. Uh, let's do the predictions first and save the movies for last. All right. I feel like we're going to go probably longer on that. Probably. So let's just walk through uh, the categories here and talk about where we're feeling where our gut is about them and why so we share most of these opinions however we are different like we have different, different ones every once in a while so we will have to eventually uh get into where we differ but uh let's just start from the top here with best supporting actor the nominees here brendan gleason for the banshees of insurance brian tyree henry for causeway Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Keegan for The Banshees of Inishirin, and Kei Hui Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And get ready to say that name. Yes. Because he has been winning every single award for this category. Yeah. We said this after the SAG Awards, but it seems like the actors are definitely seemingly in support of Everything Everywhere. I think the Everything Everywhere will have a lot of momentum going into this show. And so it does, it has certainly painted a lot of our mm-hmm. expectations for the show. And he seems like a sure bet. Yep. So we both have uh, Kihei yeah. Kwan. Kihei Kwan here as well. So yes, yes look for this. Uh, look for him to win. 
Next up for Best Supporting Actress, though, kind of different story. We have Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow for The Whale, Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inishirin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere, and Stephanie Hsu for Everything Everywhere. So, um, we and did... recently on Poker Face. Yeah. <laughs> so we are not going with Everything Everywhere here. No. Here we're going with Angela Bassett. She's also won um, a lot of the upcoming yes. supporting action awards. Uh, the one she's in contention with is Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere. Because uh, she mm-hmm. thinks she won the SAG. Yes. Award. Yes. She won the SAG, but uh, Angela seemed to have had the momentum going in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I feel like we're playing it safe here with Angela Bassett. Um, could be Jamie Lee Curtis. I could see it. I could see it because she just won the SAG. Yeah. But, but in terms of, like, actually, like, holding up a film. As the role? Like, the it role. doesn't seem like an Oscar-winning role to me. No. I have not seen Wakanda Forever, though. I want to note this. Um, so I do not know how, how good she is, but I'm assuming the way that everybody talks about her role in that is that she's the reason to see that movie. Spoiler, she's <laughs> only in it for the first half, but well, she literally kills it. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I almost had to pick her here because also, like, this is probably the only time you see uh, Disney, really, uh, with the player here. Yeah. I mean, they were gunning for Black Panther for Best Picture when it came out in 2018. Not even, but this time, the sequel's not even nominated yep. for Best Picture. So, or yeah. 2019. 2019. Yeah. The year after. Yeah. year after. Anyway, so yeah, that's our pick. Uh, Angela Bassett is probably... It came out in 2018, and then the award yeah, was 2019. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yep. Moving on to Best Animated Short Film. If you listen to our episode last week... Oh, I forgot to add this. I also watched th- one of these uh, that I can talk about. Uh, I guess it's the same one because it's on Apple. Yep. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. But yes, uh, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, The Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, and an Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It. I'm sorry, but there's only one um, world of dicks he- here. <laughs> And it is not this film. It is everywhere, everything, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a world of dicks. There's a year of dicks. There's also the cloud of dicks that was on Poker Face this yes, year. Yes, yes, there was. It's a big year for dicks. Um, <laughs> but no, year of dicks is not going to win. It's going to be the bull, the boy, the bull, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse on Apple TV. That's going to be the one. We all, we both have this as our lock. Yes. I watched it. I'll talk about it later. Yeah, I watched it too. I forgot <laughs> to put it. We both forgot to put it. That really says a lot about it. We'll get there. Well, it's an animated short um, because I wasn't intending to watch it. I just yeah. happened to see it on Apple when I went to go watch Shrinking. I think it wins on sheer Momentum. animation alone. It yeah. is an incredible thing to look at. Like it's uh, Again, I'll talk about I'll it a little bit later. It. But man, it, it looks like nothing else. It looks amazing. And yeah, I think it's the eye-catching nature of it handily wins this category. Next up, best costume design. Always a weird one. We have Mary Zofris for Babylon, Ruth Carter for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Catherine Martin for Elvis, Shirley Carata for Everything Everywhere, and Jeremy Beaven for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Beyond Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris being fun to say, well, we both have Elvis here. I mean, you have all the different costume designs oh, yeah. for, for, Elvis. for Elvis. They all not only have to be um, historically accurate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can't use the actual costumes that Elvis used. You have to recreate them. Right. And so many costume changes. Yeah, I think there's an outside chance of Babylon here. Uh, but beyond that happening, 
It seems it's pretty easy to mark Elvis here. Cool. But could you tell me what Babylon was about? Uh, I think it's a Hollywood thing. It's like that, a that, period that, piece. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I only saw trailers for it. It's just, it, it, apparently it was a big whiff. So, yeah, I don't know. Let's move on. Next up, best live action short film. We have An Irish Goodbye, Ivalu, Le Pupil, Night Ride, and The Red Suitcase. So we both went with the Irish goodbye. I think we have it because it seems to be the favorite here. It won. Yes, yeah. it is the favorite. Also, if you know anything about what an actual Irish goodbye is, <laughs> uh, it's it's leaving without actually saying goodbye. Right. Yes. I don't know if that actually has to do with what this thing is about. I but. don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's our pick. Yes. We could be wildly off. I don't hey, know. Hey, we could be wildly wrong. Yes. Keep that in mind throughout this whole thing. All right. Now, here's where things start to get different. Yeah, so Best Original Score is an interesting one this year. We have Volker Bertelmann, the very German name for a very German movie, All Quiet on the Western Front. Justin Hurwitz for Babylon. Yes, that Justin Hurwitz. Carter Burwell for The Banshees of Inishirin. Sun Lux for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, and John Williams, the last time we'll probably see him in this category, for The Fablements. Until the next Star Wars film comes out. No, he retired. Oh, yes, that's right. He's done. <laughs> so I, we are split on this one. I, uh, after doing some research, have chosen All Quiet on the Western Front. It seemed like that the, the, the score was very well done and very moving here. You've mm-hmm. seen it. Can you yes. vouch for this? Yes, you could also have seen this. It's on Netflix. I am. Subtitles, man. Yes. It's long in subtitles. It is. But you have... Uh, I went with The Banshees, Banshees of Inishirin, which we also have both watched. Um, I can't remember anything about its score. I, it's not about the score. It's about the feeling and the mood. Because there's a, while there's like there's not a whole lot of dialogue, there's a lot of like extended scenes where they're just looking off into the distance. Sure. So not only does the story have to be told through the actors yeah. acting, but also through the swell of the See, score. This is That's how I voted... Last year, if you recall, I had uh, Power of the Dog yes. as a lock here because I remembered it and it was evocative and it was a mood setter. That's it's not what won. So I learned my lesson this year. <laughs> I am playing it safe. I'm going with the thing that they usually classically go with, which is a more orchestra- orchestral-like kind of vibe as opposed to something a little different. Well... You know, we could both be wrong, and <laughs> John Williams could win it just because it could be yeah. the last time he gets nominated. Oh, I hope not. How boring. If just who wins for the Fablemans. If that's the one Oscar the Fablemans wins. Yeah. It's just because it's John Williams. Yeah, we'll see. Let's move on to Best Sound. A lot of names here. Victor Presil, Frank Cruz, Marcus Stemmler, Lars Grin- Grinzel, or ERs? I'm not sure. And Stefan Corte for All Quiet on the Western Yars. Front. Next up. Julian Horth, Gwendolyn Yates Whittle, Dick Bernstein, Christopher Boys, Gary Summers, and Michael Hedges for Avatar The Way of Water. The only name I recommend, uh, recognize there is Gary Summers. Stuart Wilson, William Flies, Files, uh, Douglas Murray, and Andy Nelson for The Batman. David Lee, Wayne Pashley, Andy Nelson, and Michael Keller for Elvis. And Mark Weingarten, James H. Mather, Al Nelson, Chris Burden, and Mark Taylor for Top Gun Maverick. Now, thing to note about best sound is that it's the combined category for sound mixing and sound yes. editing. They're both now, or I think it was last year, but they're both best sound. There right. is no differential between the two. Yes. So we are split on this one as well, and I think I can see easily why we're split. 
because they gave us both a war movie and a music movie. Yes. And you could pretty much be safe with either of them. Yes. And in this case, I went with All Quiet on the Western Front. I think war movies traditionally do have the history of winning because war is happening all around you and that mix has to be perfect and that editing has to make sense. But with Elvis, it's all about the sound editing. Right. It's about the mixing of the different eras, the different sounds of mm -hmm. Elvis. Yeah. Um, in addition to Austin Butler's Elvis into this, yeah. it, that's why I went with Elvis. I mean, I don't, I don't blame you. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's a good pick um, out of all of these. That being said, I'm a little more confident about All Quiet. I think that... Yes, you're right. Typically, a war film has the upper hand. Yes. But we've seen this happen if... It's not going to win Best Picture. No. Probably not going to win Best Sound. I disagree, but we'll see. Well, then again, Elvis isn't going to win Best Picture Yeah, either. it's not. <laughs> see, that defeats your whole argument there. So let's move on. We'll talk about screenplays. Best Adapted Screenplay. First up, Edward Berger, Leslie Patterson, and Ian Stokel for All Quiet on the Western Front. I just want to note here that I've combined the names for both script and story by. Mm -hmm. So this is everybody involved in the right. story. Next except up, for this one. Except for this one, which was just one guy. Ryan Johnson for Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Next up, Kazuo Ishiguro for Living. Aaron Kruger and Eric Warren Singer. And Christopher McQuarrie. Also, story by Peter Craig and Justin Marks for Top Gun Maverick. I feel a lot of people on stage. And Sarah Polly for Women Talking. So, we are split on this one as well. You're taking adapted... Seriously, and you're going with the most adapted here. Yes. Which is All Quiet on the Western Front, of course, an adaptation the of the very, novel. The most adapted thing on here is yes. page for page, beat for beat, adapted All Quiet on the Western Front. Meanwhile, I'm going with Women Talking. Uh, Sarah Polly was someone who was nominated in this category before and lost. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were surprised by this. So I feel like this is, this is the time. Also... I'm just not in I'm not confident in them voting on an adapted screenplay in a foreign language. I just I feel like it's not going to happen. I mean, we both know our actual favorite is Glass Onion. Yeah, but I don't think Ryan Johnson can win. No, I he's think not going to win. It's a tough category for him this year. Uh, I don't think I don't know why Tom Gunn is in here. Like, sure, I guess because it was really well loved. So yeah. you have to give some more awards. But, At least more nominations, not awards. Yeah. But yeah, still, I'm pretty confident about women talking in this category. I think it's the strongest. Uh, there's maybe an outside chance of all quiet, but I just, I don't see it. I don't see uh, voters, Academy voters, going for a film in German for screenplay. Okay, so let's go to the polls then. What did the Writers Guild say? Well, well oh, wait, we don't know because that, I think that was I this that's weekend. Yet, yeah. yeah. Well, in the meantime. Right, that was yesterday, right? I don't know. Oh, March fifth. Okay, so it has happened. Well, while you're looking at that, let's talk about original. Oh, sorry, was that everything everywhere for original? Original. We're talking about adapted. Uh, adapted was women talking. Boom. See. Speaking of original <laughs> screenplay, here are the nominees for that. Oh, I'm category. sorry. It only won because All Quiet on the Western Front was not nominated oh, for it. Man, 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 man. <laughs> well, that even makes it even less likely to win, right? <laughs> not even nominated. No, I didn't go up against it. So yeah, there you go. Let's move on to original screenplay now, finally. Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inishirin, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner, a.k.a. The Daniels, the Daniels, for Everything Everywhere All at Once, or is it just Daniels, right? There's no it's, the, right? No, it's just Daniels. Yeah. Kazuo, oh, wait, sorry. Wrong category here. Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans. Wait, that's 
adapted from Steven Spielberg's real life. <laughs> not, not quite. Todd Field for Tar. Oh, we'll talk about Tar. Ruben and Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness. So we are in lockstep here. It's everything everywhere. Yes, Daniels will win this. It just won for the uh, Writers Guild Award yeah. um, for Best Original. It's going to win here. Yeah, it makes sense. It's inventive. It's wild. It's creative. It's exactly the thing that I think should win this category. Yep. And I hope it does. All right. Move on to Best Actor. We have Austin Butler is Elvis. We have Colin Farrell is the Banshees of Inishirin. We have Brendan Fraser is the Whale. Paul Mescal is After Sun, and Bill Nye is Living. That last one's correct. I'm sure, sure that is correct. <laughs> huh, we're split on this one, but I don't. I feel like not by much. I no. get. I 100 uh, understand your pick. I'm going with Austin Butler for Elvis. He had the momentum going into this. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he the one big award he did was, did, was the BAFTA. He won the BAFTA. But everything else has gone to Colin Farrell or Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Which is why I couldn't deal with Austin Butler. I get it. But the Academy has a habit of voting for a big Playing for a historical figure. And also playing historical figures. So I don't think that they'll actually award the best actor here. I think they'll award Austin Butler. And hey, there's precedent for this because Rami Malek won for a music biopic. Yes. And... That's why I was saying they won't do it again because he oh, okay. yeah, and just won for a biopic. I, Otherwise, yeah. and it becomes a pattern of if you play a biopic, you're going to win. <laughs> I don't know. And then everyone can go in uproar of Rocket Man not being uh, <laughs> winning because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I still think that he has a chance, uh, but I understand Colin Farrell here. He's very good at that movie. Yes. Um, he, he literally drives that movie because we follow him through the whole thing. Yeah. And just the the, contor- the way he contorts his face in that entire thing and his eyebrows. Just like there's so much acting happening just up here yes. in that movie. That, a lot of like, close shots. I can absolutely understand it. However, a little more confident about Austin Butler. He, you know, there's all that press about how he became Elvis. And he couldn't drop the accent for so long. And that just, it just enveloped <sighs> yes. him. It's the press, though. Academy voters eat that shit up, though. I know. They're going to love it. It's why Daniel Day-Lewis won every time. It's because... Oh, People we'll love get to method, the, and we'll, they don't understand what method is. Oh, we'll get to the woman of Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> in a bit here. Anyway, let's talk about Best Actress in the movie. Okay, role. but anyways, if we were voting yes. for Austin Butler, yes. would it be Brendan Fraser, probably? Uh, yeah, but I don't think the momentum lasted for him. I think that that's well, kind that's of where I, Well, that's where I'm at right now, where if yeah. it wasn't Colin Farrell, it'd probably be Brendan Fraser. It'd probably be Brendan Fraser. And I don't think Best Actor is ranked voting. No, it's not. It's not. Only Best Picture is ranked right, voting. Only Best Picture. So, yeah, no, I think it's Austin Butler. I'm still going to stand by that. Yep. Moving on, Best Actress. We got Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna de Armas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough, I never know how to pronounce her last name, Two Leslie, Michelle Williams, The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere. As much as I love Michelle Yeoh to win here, yes. we both have Kate Blanchett as a lock. It is the traditional. Oscar performance that everybody figures is going to be the Oscar winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very good in it. We'll talk about it a little later. Um, yeah, I think that it's the best part of Tar is her character. And yeah, um, there is one long take specifically yes, yes. that gets her this yes. award. I think she acts her pants off in this thing, and I think it's absolutely earned. Um, is the script a little overwritten? Yes, but she we'll does get there. well with what she has. Yes. And yeah, I think it's okay. So yeah, we both have Kate Blanchett as a lock here. Yep. Moving on to animated feature films. Speaking of locks, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, 
Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Now, I had Turning Red uh, when these auditions first came out. However. However, with the Annie's that we talked about last week. Yeah. And I think the BAFTAs as well. And the Golden Globe. And the Golden Globe. Pinocchio has been everywhere. Guillermo del Toro's name is on it. We keep saying this because it's still true. That makes voters vote. And I think that they're going to follow him into winning this category. Man, though, do I wish in an alternate universe that more people loved Marcel as much as I did. Because I could see it easily taking this. Also, where's the screenplay nomination for this thing? (laughs) Seems like, like just take Top Gun out. Put that here because it technically would have to be adapted. Because yes, it would have to be adapted. So yeah, but still, ah uh, man, I wish, but not going to happen. Also, you wish now but having I wish. seen <laughs> Puss in Boots, uh, maybe, but outside chance, there's no way it can win against Pinocchio. Uh, we'll talk about both Guillermo del Pinocchio and, and Puss in Boots last week in wish. a moment. In a moment. But first, let's get through the rest of these. Best cinematography. Yep, these are the f- five big awards here. Yeah. Six? Uh, yeah, but there's more. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not quite done. We're not quite done. Best cinematography. James Friend for All Quiet on the Western Front. Darius Kanji for Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Mandy Walker for Elvis. Roger Deakins, The Duke, for Empire of Light. And Florian Hoffmeister for Tar. Roger Deakins, you already got your award. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I would love to have the Duke here, but no. It's going to be All Quiet. Uh, Roger Deakins will win next year when Dune Part 2 comes out. that's probably... (laughs) No, but James Friend, uh, from all what I can tell, the thing about All Quiet is how it's shot. Oh, yeah. And um, it just seems like it's a really beautifully shot film. There's a good combination between handheld and still, and just the way it's shot, using wide angles, zooms. Makes sense. um, Following characters. It's beautifully. It's why, um, it's kind of also why, like, I keep voting it for the best adapted screenplay <laughs> even though i know the writing is different from the actual like right film. right right it's different but yeah but yeah um i think if it's going to win anything tonight or tomorrow night i think it will win best cinematography easily as well as best international yeah uh, yeah we'll get there uh next up best documentary feature yes we have all that breeds all the beauty and the bloodshed fire of love a house made of splinters and navalny you mean naval new york we both have Navalny as a lock here. And I didn't yes. realize what this was about until I was watching uh, Jeopardy this week. Yep. And one of the answers was this dude. And I was like, oh, that must be what the documentary is about. And I literally said that to Christy. And she was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I had no idea what it was, but I voted for it since it seemed like it was the favorite. It's also the most relevant thing. Yeah. So, yeah. We have that pretty much as a lock. But who knows? Documentary is one of those weird ones. Yes. Uh, documentary and short subject. Yes. Uh, sorry, documentary short subject, which we're on right now. Those are, those are, those are your make or Two break weird stuff. Ones, yeah. Speaking of, best documentary short subject this year includes The Elephant Whispers, Haul Out, How Do You Measure a Year? Uh, I believe it's uh, 525,600 minutes. minutes. Uh, the Martha Mitchell Effect and A Stranger at the Gate. We are split on this one. I have the elephant whispers, and it's not just because the octopus teacher one and everybody thinks nature documentary is the new hotness. That's mm-hmm. not why. It's because it's the only one that I felt like people are actually talking about. Like I there, I watched a TikTok where some guy had made a, pr- a PowerPoint presentation trying to convince his girlfriend to watch the elephant whispers. With him. So yeah, it seems like people really love it. It seems cute, and like I'm like yes. 
put me all down on the elephant whispers. You, in the meantime, are going straight up just by the name of how do you measure a year. Yes, just straight up by the name alone. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, um, this is very shot in the dark for me. Mm-hmm. Um, zero research whatsoever. <laughs> sure, fair enough. But also the only one that I had any reference to besides sure. elephant whispers because, hey, elephants. Elephants. What's not to like? Let's move on to editing, film editing to be specific. We have Mikkel E.G. Nielsen for The Banshees of Inishirin, Matt Vila and Jonathan Redmond for Elvis, Paul Rogers for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Monica Willis for Tar, and Eddie Hamilton for Top Gun Maverick. Now that I read these, I'm not so confident. There might be an outside chance that something as action-y as Top Gun might have a chance here. There's that, also something yeah, like Elvis having right. an offshoot chance here. But I still feel pretty good the editing is so important in everything everywhere mm-hmm. for all of it to make sense, for all of it to really feel not just disparate parts. So much of that movie uh, for it to work relies on it being edited well. And it is edited well. For once, I think a movie that is edited well should win this category. Talking uh, about you, Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, that's why Elvis is in here because right. Bohemian Rhapsody. That's why I bring that up. Yeah. So, uh, I, But yes, uh, the fact uh, there was a behind the scenes feature mm-hmm. on Everything Everywhere for the editing. And there's a team of eight people. Oh, yeah. Mainly editing. It's these. not just Paul Rogers here, yes. even though he will take credit for the, the Oscar. Yes, they he's win. the lead editor. But yeah, you you all take the credit uh, for his team. Yeah. But eight people edited the majority of Everything Everywhere. Yeah, so I think I think it's an easy pick here. Uh, it's the reason why we're locked on it. Yeah. Next up, international feature film, also an easy lock. All Quiet on the Western Front from Germany. Argentina, 1985 from, you guessed it, Argentina. Close from Belgium. EO from Poland. And The Quiet Girl from Ireland. So despite hearing that apparently EO is wild and is really well made and you feel so damn bad for that donkey, I, we are locked on All Quiet because, of course. Uh, uh, it is also the one that is nominated for Best Picture. It's nominated for Best Picture, which means it probably probably has to win. There's no way around it. Yes. So, yeah. It's the Parasite effect. It's the Roma effect. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, if you're going to put an international film in your Best Picture right. category. It wins that category. It probably wins international features. If it doesn't, you messed up. Next up, Best Makeup and Hairstyling. We have Heike Merker and Linda Elson Hamarova for All Quiet on the Western Front. Naomi Dunn, Mike Marino, and Mike Fontaine for The Batman. Camille Friend and Joel Harlow for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I wonder if this... <laughs> what? Wakanda Forever. Sorry, I was thinking about Camille Friend. Is she related to the friend who was the... Uh, uh, something on All Quiet? There's like another guy with the last name Friend. Um, on this list. We don't, we don't have, have time. time. We don't have time. Uh, but yeah, so all sorts of friends happening. Yes. Uh, we have Mark Coulier and Jason Baird and Aldo Signoretti for Elvis. And Adrian Moreau, Judy Chin, and Anne-Marie Bradley for The Whale. So this we is are split makeup. on this as well. Yep, this is makeup and hairstyling. I played safe this time and went with Elvis because of the same reasons why uh, we went with it for um, the other one. Uh, costume, costume, because it's a very specific look that they try to they're gonna, they have to make for all of this, because of it it's being a very specific period piece, and it has to be showy and has to be in your face and it has to be easy to understand that that is Elvis Presley. 
Yes. But speaking of being a period piece and being very showy, yes. All Quiet on the Western Front being a war film, yeah. you have to do a lot of makeup and hairstyling when things explode. You're not wrong. Um, th- they, those soldiers have to be real grimy. Yes. And get that grime right. Yeah, make sure it looks yes. just enough m- dirt and mud yeah. so you know they're in the trench. But not so much that they blend into the trench. Right. I get it that it's a tough art, but yeah. I think the voters are going to go for the more obvious version here. Which, which is all fired is in the Western Front. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's outside chance for the whale. I think Brendan Fraser's look in that thing is... Outside the chance. Outside yeah. chance, but still in the play, still in the realm. Yes. All right, let's move on to best original songs. I This is the one I'm least confident about anymore because I feel like the vibe of this changed overnight. In the last couple of days. Yeah. And I'm freaking out. Okay. So first up, Applause from Tell It Like a Woman. Music and lyrics by Diane Warren. Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick. Music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop. Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Music by Thames, Rihanna, and Ryan Coogler. And Ludwig Göransson. And lyrics by Thames and Ryan Coogler. Natu Natu, I think you're biased here. From <laughs> RRR, music by M.M. Kirvani, lyrics by Chandra Bose. Could be completely botching the pronunciation of that, so I'm sorry about that. And then last is, or This is a Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once, music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski, lyrics by Ryan Lott and David Byrne. As much as I would love Mitski to fill out an O on her EGOT card, just get that rolling. <laughs> not going to happen. Sorry, Mitski. I do not think that uh, the Everything Everywhere song will win. We are split, however, with what we do think will win. Yes, you went with the Lady Gaga song, Hold My Hand. I am absolutely team uh, Hold My Hand. I think it's the one that every, all the voters have heard. Mm-hmm. I think it's the one they're going to be familiar with. Lady Gaga has won in this category before. Yes. And I think that it's, it's to me, it's the sure You do not agree. I went with not to, not to. I think fewer people have seen RRR. Yes, but and so I don't think a lot of people, a lot of voters, will know that it's just pure joy. It is. It is. I've seen the clip. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm so glad that they're going to be per- able to perform it on the show. Oh tomorrow. yeah, I think people are going to have their minds blown. They're going to open thing. with not two, not two. And it's going to be great. Yeah. However, it won't win, and I just, it just doesn't have a chance. There's so many more people that people recognize. Like if Diane Warren is on a ballot. And Lady Gaga is on the ballot, and Rihanna is on the ballot, and David Byrne is on the ballot. They're not voting for the one that doesn't have any of those names on it. I'm sorry. It's just I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but well, one I can be biased about it. <laughs> yeah. Two, it's also the one that won the BAFTA for best original sure, song. Sure, but BAFTA, BAFTA. Yes. There is a lot more sensitivity to international world music yes. in the BAFTA stage than there is in the Oscar stage. I don't think it has a chance. I would love to be wrong. It would be a pleasant surprise if this takes the Oscar tomorrow. I'd love for it to show up, uh, blast the doors in the opening number, yeah. and then everyone just like... Just rewrite this. <laughs> I gotta rewrite my ballot. You need to fix this. <laughs> yeah, but not gonna happen. They're locked in at that point. Yeah. So let's move on to the next category, Best Production Design. We have Christian M. Goldbeck and Ernestine Hipper, All Quiet on the Western Front. Just a quick note. This is a combination of both the set designers and... Um, like pretty much everybody involved in production design. Mm-hmm. They're separated on the official ballot. I chose not to separate them here. Okay. Next up, Dylan Cole, Ben Proctor, and Vanessa Cole for Avatar The Way of the Water. For Florencia Martin and Anthony Carlino for Babylon. 
Catherine Martin, Karen Murphy, and Bev Dunn for Elvis, and Rick Carter and Karen O'Hara for The Fablements. And once again, we fall lock and step with our yes. previous picks. You for Elvis, me for All Choir on the Western Front. I think the voter, again, my theme for this year is playing it safe. Yes. I took too many risks last year, and it's why I did terribly. And so this year I'm playing it safe and being like, well, if I was a vote, if I'm giving my mind as typical Oscar voter, so I am thinking in that mode now. And so I am going in assuming that Elvis is going to sweep the technical stuff. Well, the, you know, the ones you can see, the visual technical stuff, um, because it's the one that they've seen and it's the one that looks good. I get why you here are on All Quiet, though, because... It's, it's, a the, war movie. it's a war movie. Yeah, yes. traditionally they have done well in these categories, but I don't think in years I, where there's so something more. I obvious. see you right now playing prevent defense. Yes. I'm just gonna take the Absolutely, play safe yes. But when you play prevent defense, <laughs> you prevent yourself from winning. <laughs> I don't think so. Yes. Not in the Oscars. <laughs> Maybe in football that's true, but not here. But yeah, I get where you're coming from. Uh, the production design is important and something that needs to evoke World War One. Yes. Um, Outside chance of uh, Babylon here. I feel like that could be an outside chance of it being the one Oscar it wins. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's also very period PC. Uh, but we'll see. Um, I'm pretty confident about Elvis. All right. Uh, three more categories to go. Yes. We're big almost ones. done. We're almost done. First up, best visual effects. Frank Petzold, Victor Mueller, Marcus Frank, and Camille Jafar. Good name. For All Quiet of the Western Front. Joe Loteri, Richard Bainham. Eric Sandin and Daniel Barrett for Avatar The Way of the Water. Dan Lemon, Russell Earl, Anders Langlands, and Dominic Toy for The Batman. Jeffrey Bauman, Craig Hammock, R. Christopher White, and Dan Sudik. Names disappeared. For Black Panther, Wakanda. Forever. I thought you were going to Black Panther. And Ryan Dudope, Seth Hill, Brian Litson, and Scott R. Fisher for Top Gun Maverick. We are both locked on Avatar. It is literally the visual effects film. Yeah, it doesn't work without it. Yep. Um, also, Avatar 1 in this category. Yep. Important to note. 13 years ago. But my gut still is worried and still nervous that the practical stuff that they did in Top Gun is going to impress voters. It, yes, could. it could. I think that all that footage and the big stuff, all the stories about those, those were real jets, they were flying, is going to really like affect people in the way they think about this category. But does it affect them more than that feeling of seeing Avatar? And I don't know. I genuinely don't know. So I'm going with Avatar. When you're watching Avatar, it's all not there. It's all CG. Mm -hmm. It's impressive looking. But is that impressive looking enough to make people forget about how wowed everybody was about Top Gun? I don't know. I, don't know. I think it's a toss-up, but I'm going with Avatar. Avatar is the more recent film. Yeah. yeah. Unless you have Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right. Big two. Right. Best Director. Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inisherin, The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Tude Field. I meant to write Todd. I changed it and then Christy changed it back. She liked the typo so much. Two. Todd Field for Tar and Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness. I don't want to be, I am sad for Triangle of Sadness because I feel like it's going to get shut out in every category. <laughs> We both have the Daniels here. Yes. Uh, as we mentioned before, we're planning on everything everywhere to pretty sweep. much sweep, except in the, uh, was it, uh, Supporting Actress yeah. Award. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's got a, a huge chance. I think these they're hot right now. The momentum is on them. 
I think that they just won the DGA. They just yeah. won the PGA. Oh yeah, the guilds are all for them. Yep. I think that yeah, and this is a statement Oscar, as I've said before. I think if they win this, it's proof that things are changing. Yes. Um, in the public perception of how we expect movies to be directed, and it's good news. Uh, they should that this new kind of filmmaking should be, be the mainstream, and this is the moment where it breaks through. If they don't win this, it'll be an upset. Talking to you, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Next up, best picture. Your 10 movies are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything All of Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. And yeah, as you might have guessed, we're locked on everything everywhere taking this thing. Yep, it won the ensemble. It won... Like I said, uh, for producers, it won directors. Yeah. It won... The only place it didn't win was the Bachelors, but that's because it wasn't nominated. Right. I think if it doesn't win, it will be a upset just as much as the Chadwick Boseman upset. Yes. Like, it'll be a moment like that where everybody's like, wait, what? It'll be a green book. Mm-hmm. Like, if somehow everything everywhere fails to win this. Uh, I think if it's not for some sort of strange finagling of Oscar voting, if it's not everything everywhere... My best guess is Banshees. You think so? Yeah. I uh, honestly do not think any of the rest of these movies can win. Really? You're not lockstep with Elvis on this no, one? No, I'm not. No, Elvis, I think, <laughs> you don't is want Elvis to a win. spectacle, but I do not think it's best picture. Yeah. I think that Tar, maybe, but Tar has baggage. Yes. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think that, yeah, it has to be everything everywhere. I honestly don't know what happens if it loses. <laughs> maybe we get sucked into an everything bagel. Who knows? Maybe. All right, that's our Oscar predictions. Take them or leave them. They're, if you lost um, track of these and if you need a place to look at them, hey, they're on our website, mediaboatpodcast.com. Go there and see it written and use it as a guide going into tomorrow. But with that, we move on to the last thing we want to do today, which is talk about some movies that we watched and we have thoughts on, some of them competing in the Oscar race tomorrow. Yeah, so... Where do we want to start, then? Actually, all of them are. Yeah, they all are. Let's start with the shortest one here. Let's talk about the Apple TV uh, and presumed winner of the animated short category, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. So, yeah, I was surprised to see this on Apple uh, TV+. Plus. Yeah, uh, we saw that it was out in um, November, and we almost watched it as, like, a Thanksgiving kind of thing, but we ended up skipping it. I think maybe we should have just watched it then, because... I had in my head with all the Oscar buzz for it that this thing was going to blow me away. Mm-hmm. And well, it did and it didn't, I think is where I sit on this thing. It looks incredible. It looks good. The themes can be very generic on it. <laughs> yes. But yes, visually, it yeah. is quite impressive. I really like how this looks. It's really, the animation I, is amazing. It's some of the best animation, 2D animation I've seen in years. It's absolutely fantastic looking, and I get why this thing won an Annie last week, like or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I get why it's like just just animators are probably looking at this thing, and they're going to for years go back to it and be like, "This is a new standard. This is a new modern template for how digital animation can look just as good as a hand drawn." It's amazing. It's That's a, all digital. I think it's digital, but it's hand drawn digital. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm just saying that like it harkens. Some of the detail work is harkens back to like 1940s Disney. That's how mm-hmm. good this looks. And it's modern, and there's a lot you can say about that. It looks like a storybook came to life. All that to say, I honestly thought it was such a snore fest. I thought this thing was so boring. It's a very boilerplate story about mental health and a kid struggling with 
family and feeling like feeling, feeling lost like lost and not and feeling like trying to find their way yeah speaking up for themselves but when i mean boilerplate i mean boilerplate i mean like it doesn't even try to use metaphor it's actually interesting that we're going to talk about this and puss in boots this week because yes. there's parallels that i want to compare and contrast oh, yeah. uh with that movie when we talk about that movie but here it's almost like they just took the most basic concept of therapy and put them in a script it's just inexplicable. No kid is going to enjoy this. They might be, like, mesmerized by how it looks, but as soon as they start talking, a kid's going to want to go play with their toys. They start talking about deep things. This isn't for your typical kid. This is for your inner child. It's a therapy session with animals. It's it almost is. like they took an episode of Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin all of a sudden started asking existential questions to Eeyore. <laughs> like, it's such a weird thing. And I you just know Gopher don't is it. in the film. Yeah, yeah, there is a mole, yeah. But that's the thing, is that, like, the mole's the best character in this thing, because at least he's seems like he has a personality. Yes. The rest of them are just talking about therapy talking points. The mole just wants his pie. Get this mole some pie. Cake. It was cake. cake. Sorry, cake. Pie was Puss in Boots. Yes. Right. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, no. It's just like, what Cake the... is where the home is. <laughs> like, who is this for? The whole time I was like, is it just for the parents of kids? I just don't understand it. But it looks amazing, and it will win the Oscar, no matter what I have to say about it. It's cute, but yeah, no, this is definitely not for kids. It's just <laughs> adult themes, adult, like, trauma and yeah. feelings of lost and trying to uh, and work through them. Don't get me wrong. I've been established on this podcast as somebody who enjoys kind of that kind of content in media, especially for children. I love shows that delve into talking about these issues to in a way that a kid can understand but there's two things that this doesn't do one do it in a way that they can understand there's too much therapy language being used here it's too much on it's too on the nose Mm -hmm. there's no metaphor to like not sugarcoat it but to like make you think about it in a way that's not just i feel like i'm on a couch right now it's just it needs well that's why i was on apple tv plus because you are on a couch right now (laughs) It need, you know what I mean. I know. It needs to be coded in some sort of language that kids would click with. And it's not. It's instead distracts you with the pretty colors and the stuff that's happening while just spouting at you like cliches. And I don't know. I was expecting more from it. I don't know how much more you can get with there was a boy, <laughs> a mole, yes. a fox, and horse, a horse. question mark? A horse. There's a horse. Question mark Isn't horse? there enough, I guess. He has zero personality, but he's there. Well, uh, I mean, at the end, it's not even a horse. So, spoilers? Oh, well, spoiler. Uh, I mean, yes. It is touching in a way. It did get me at the end. I was like, oh, that's cute. But still, I need a little bit more from it. And it just Uh, didn't give me what I wanted. So, therapy session wins the Oscar? I think it will. All right. Speaking of therapy sessions, uh, let's talk about Puss in Boots next. Yeah. So, another animated film. Long feature from DreamWorks. Yes. By the way. Um, I was not expecting that uh, DreamWorks opening sequence. Oh, yeah, they marveled it. Yeah. And I hate it. I didn't like it. No, it was so simple I tried before. to fast forward through it. All you need is the boy fishing and the cute little... I don't know. DreamWorks. I don't know what they're doing. Animation. I, I, Christy said something funny about it, too. I was telling her the same thing. I was like, I don't like it. And she was like, I don't know. We saw all our friends. <laughs> like, maybe your friends. Which brings up my first thing I will say about uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Fish. I typically don't like a whole lot of DreamWorks movies. I'm not a fan of the Shrek films. I get why people my age think they were great. But even at the time, I was like, this is too much. And I've always thought that. And 
That's why I like Shrek 2 more than I like Shrek 1. Sure. They both have issues. But anyway. Oh, if you want to talk issues, we'll talk about Shrek the third. Oh, God. I haven't. Even, there's a reason why I haven't even seen 3 and 4. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't typically like DreamWorks movies. They're fine. They're like middle tier for me. Like, there's few of them that have gotten me in the same way that Pixar or even a, like or even the first Despicable Me did from mm-hmm. Illumination. Like, I think that they're missing heart in a lot of cases. The closest they got for me was Kung Fu Panda 1. I really enjoyed that movie. However, I really enjoyed Puss in Boots The Last Wish. This easily becomes, in my opinion, the best of the DreamWorks films. Now, is that because they're using a lot of the new animation styles of crossing a lot of the Eastern Western so, anime, especially in the fight sequences? Yeah. Surprisingly enough, that wasn't the only reason, but it did go a long way for me. They definitely took notes. This is one of many post-Spider-Verse movies yes. in which, finally, the studios loosened up and been like, all right, animators, you take the lead here, decide what the look of this thing is going to be, and let's be consistent, but experiment. Let's experiment with the like frame rate. Let's experiment with like exaggerated takes. Let's experiment with uh, combining 2D and 3D in very strategic ways, just like we saw Pixar try out with Turning Red, mm-hmm. and just like we've seen recently... Um, was the other studio that messed around with this recently? And there's like several studios that are like falling, falling in lockstep with this, and it's great uh, because I think it makes your whole movie look more interesting. There's a lot of Disney animated shows that fall yeah. into this now, and I think it's a great look. It looks amazing, especially the fight sequences. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yes, there's such an easy way to make fight sequences messy in animation, and these are very clear. They're exciting, and they work so well every time. There's also a definite genre break between the story that Puss Boots is telling and straight up here's your action sequences. It does both really well, which brings me back to the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Puss in Boots also, the story being told here, also lightly touches on some mental health stuff. It's very clear through the script that he is having a little bit of a crisis. Um, Puss, uh, a last life crisis. Yeah, Puss is, yeah, literally, like, he's feels like he's... It's not a midlife if it's your last life. <laughs> yeah, for the first time, he feels fear of death. He, he knows he's going to die. Death is literally chasing him. Mm-hmm. And he's terrified of it, legitimately terrified. And so they kind of, without being specific about it and not without calling it out, he has a panic attack here. He mm-hmm. has... Like, it's very clearly getting to him psychologically and physically. And the movie never, unlike the boy, the mole, the fox, the horse, the movie never slaps you in the face with it. It's never, like, doesn't stare at this camera and say, looks like he could use help. Never. It does it obliquely. It does it, like, kind of sneakily, where it's like, oh, this character, oh, he wants to be a therapy dog, like... That's a cute idea, right? We mm-hmm. kind of plant that seed in your head, and then there's a scene later where it actually works. But neither character comments on it, and that's why it works so mm-hmm. well. It's it's just obscured by the like by the like the storytelling never like again flaps you in the face with it, and I think that's why it works way better for me than it does if you're just spouting it straight at me. So I really enjoyed the heart of this film. I think it's really got a really strong emotional core. Did I love the entire script? No. I think the jokes largely hit for me, but occasionally were just a little DreamWorksy. I think they still know that there's a certain expectation for a movie in the Shrek universe to do the pop culture reference kind of mm-hmm. on-the-nose shit. 
This does a lot less than the Trek films do. Thank God. There's only one time they use a um, a uh, song like they do a needle drop, and even then they're creative with it and like add like a Spanish language version of it, which I think was smart. So it distracts you from the fact that it's a reference. Yeah. Um, and the and, but the but some of the jokes didn't really land well for me. I didn't love the oh how that's funny the dog is cursing and being bleeped in this PG movie. Oh, so funny. It's like what is this 2005? Like come on. <laughs> So not all of it hit, but when it did, it hit really well. And I really liked the characters and the uh, emotional core of it. And it's just a beauty to look at. I had a really good time with it. There's also the underlying theme of family and what is family and how to be family. Right. Uh, Finding your own family. Although it took me a while to get to the uh, little big Jack Horner family (laughs) turn in in it. More than it should. That came like the beginning of the third act. and. By the time I got there, I'm like, wait, is that how you get him twist this into here and kind of like shoehorn it in? It's the one thing that yes. otherwise worked with everything else in the film. I agree. The um, the Jack Horner stuff feels like it was a last draft kind of thing to mm-hmm. me. Um, it definitely feels like um, it was an afterthought in a way. Where it was like, oh, well, we need another bigger villain because... The Goldilocks stuff, like, you like her too much. She's too likable. Yes. And her story, we want to resolve it where she gets a win, essentially. Right. And so they and had then, to put a villain in that and then spot. And then they have the death persona, but then even he kind of gets resolved by the end. So you need the, <laughs> right. like, the ultimate, like, it wasn't even the ultimate villain. No, you need, you need, you need they wanted a, a comic relief villain. And I know Well, no, they wanted the opposite of Puss, right. which was, if Puss continues down this path, this is what he's going to end up with. But it never really clicked. And that's yeah, my issue it with, really with it. Especially with how they deal with the... Uh... <laughs> Honestly, I hate that I think it's so funny, but the Jimmy Stewart by way of Jimmy Cricket yes. character. So, such a funny bit at first. But then they do away with that character in such a weird way at the end. I was like, really? Okay, we're just going to kill him off? Yep. Like, are we just... It seemed like a very Shrek move to me, where it's like, but I actually like that character, not instead what it was, which they it's, just assumed we, we need to get, him. It's, we need to get rid of him because he no longer right. serves our purpose. Yeah, I thought it was Yeet. kind of a waste. That being said, yeah, no, you're right. The Jack Horner stuff, probably the weakest part of it. Mm-hmm. But I, but they probably got to a point with the script where they were like, well, we need it for the ending. We can't have the ending like we want it unless we have that character. Or they, John Malley was having such a good time with it. <laughs> That's true. That it was like, hey, can I get me more in this film? Yeah. So overall, I enjoyed my time with it. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it has some issues, mm-hmm. and I don't love the script. But it's a good time. And like I said, low bar, but probably easily the best of the DreamWorks yeah. films. Uh, easily. And they actually set it up for a sequel. Yeah. I think um, interesting idea there. I don't know if I necessarily want that. But. I don't know if I want it either, but it does end like on a good note of Going to see Friends. Yeah, I just do not have any nostalgia for Shrek. I'm sorry. I know. I need to turn in my millennial card. Um, but yeah, I just... Sorry, have zero. you not seen the Shrek-themed wedding? Ugh, Been to a God. Shrek party? Ugh, the Shrek rave. The Shrek rave? <laughs> no, none of the above. No, thank you. All right. All right, let's uh, move on. Let's, let's, take, let's stay in Peacock, though. Yeah, before... Yeah. Uh, oh, or do, do you want, want to stay in Peacock or do you want to stay in animation? Oh, boy. I don't know because I wish we had more time to talk about Tar, is what yes. I would say. Because, oh, boy, I have some thoughts. Uh, but I can try to be brief. 
All right, let's talk about Tar. All right. It's available on Peacock. Oscar nominee. We've been talking about it being available on Peacock. I'm eventually going to watch it. All right, let me see if I can put this as short as possible. Um, I think Kate Blanchett is really good in this movie. Yes. It's her movie. It's her showcase. Um, it's very much... Uh, she gets to really do a lot of wild shit in this movie, and... She gets to do a lot of music theory. A I lot guess. of yelling, a lot of talking, a lot of emoting, a lot of falling. Um, and a lot of tackling. Yes. There's all sorts of things that she does in this movie. I think she's great in it. I just wish the movie uh, gave her a lot more to work with. The main thing I have against Tar, I think it's well made overall. I think the script is fine. I don't love scripts that feel overwritten. And from a minute two, I was like, okay, it's going to be one of these. Um, that being said, as the movie went on, I got a little maybe used to it and it didn't bug me as much. Um, I think where I have the baggage with it is with what it's trying to say or if it's trying to say anything. We had a lot, actually, Christy and I had a long talk about this movie after we finished it. And we went back and forth about what we felt like it, it was trying to do. And we looked up negative reviews and we looked up positive reviews to kind mm-hmm. of see where people landed on it. And we found passionate uh, positions in both uh, <laughs> camps. It seems like the reaction is mixed, and I get why. I think what it's saying about cancel culture is interesting in the way that it's in the things that it's choosing to show and the things that it's not choosing to show the narrative it wants you to follow and the narrative that it's kind of puts on the edges the fringes and don't show literally on the camera todd field is making choices with what he chooses to show and what he chooses to not show Mm -hmm. and i think the fact that he is making those choices at all makes me wonder about whether or not the film is actually showing, like, taking an ambiguous take. Uh, to be more specific with what I'm trying to say, and again, I'm trying to be brief, really trying, um, is is that, like, there are things that are very clear that, uh, that Tar, the character, um, has done, does do, or has done to her mm-hmm. during the course of this film that are said but never shown. He cuts away right before nearly every instance of something that she could, that she is either allegedly responsible for or that happens to her. So it is left to the audience to just assume, okay, well, who do I like to choose who to believe, essentially. But the thing that is left unambiguous is that she does fall from grace. Like Mm -hmm. that final scene, which, oh boy, that final scene... We have to talk about it. I'm sorry. Spoiler. Spoiler for Tar. All right. Spoiler for Tar. Um, we're not going to spoil anything but the last scene here because I want to talk about how ridiculous it is, especially for here, the Media Boat podcast. Yes. The last scene of Tar is, so she is a conductor. That's the whole movie. She's like a very famous orchestral conductor who has made a name for herself in that industry. She like is huge. She's a big deal. And a lot of people respect her. It literally opens with a string of yes. awards and right. like, accomplishments. And she's, you know, she's a talk show circuit, like interview circuit. Like she's mm-hmm. very well known and very regarded. Well, over the course of the movie for reasons, um, she gets basically like her reputation is shot. She did like, it gets to the point where she pretty much cannot work in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like no one will hire her. She can't find a job. So she moves. She moves to Thailand and she gets a gig there and she's working on something that you're not sure what it is. All you know is she's in Thailand. It seems like it's another conducting gig. It's set up to make you believe, oh, she's just doing the same thing over there. However, it cuts to 
a uh, screen, the projection screen that is showing video from very clearly a video game of some sort. The narration sounds familiar in a weird way. And it cuts to the audience as she begins to conduct. Uh, and the audience is dressed up in maybe like some sort of like, uh, for lack of a better word, tribal gear. It's unclear at first. But then ultimately you realize, oh, wait, it's a cosplay convention for Monster Hunter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so clearly the script wants you to believe that, yes, there has been a fall from grace here. There's, it is a fact that she cannot do what she used to do because she has quote unquote been canceled for the things that occurred during the film or before the film. And yeah, is it kind of a slap in the face in video game music? Yeah, it is. But, you know, I'm willing to put that over to the side because yeah. it's not important to this conversation. Clearly what the script is doing is is written in the way where you're supposed to say like, okay, clearly something like, clearly she had a, she is at rock bottom. Because this would never have been a job that she would even consider taking with the level of fame and pride. Right. Even during the film, she's trying to write her next classical piece. So it's a big downgrade for the character. Not, you know, saying Mm -hmm. any personal opinions here. For the character, it is very clear that she is sunk very low. But, yeah, again, though. There's only so much a script can, like, your choices that a director is making with their script, where they know things that have happened, but they choose not to show it. To me, that is saying something. And to me, that means that they're they're making it ambiguous. But the same thing I always say is, if you're saying that maybe, maybe there's an alternate path here, if you're not saying specifically how you feel on this subject, to me, that is saying that your, your ambivalence speaks volumes, is basically what I'm saying. And I genuinely wonder what the actual Todd Field feels about when somebody who is ostensibly this important in their like in, like in public in the public eye mm-hmm. and has all this power when they do finally get repercussions for their power how does Todd Field feel about that because this movie does not tell me either way that is one thing that it's sown throughout the film is mm-hmm. that there sh- uh, tar yeah. is in a position of power, yeah. uh, not just within her, the orchestra being a conductor, but also teaching class, choosing people to be a part of the orchestra, yes. mm-hmm. forcing people out of position. It's a movie about abuse of power, ultimately. Yeah. It's a movie where you see steps, every step of the way she is making choices that are not thinking about anybody but herself. Mm-hmm. But herself. And she's, yeah, she's screwing over people's lives and livelihoods. It's a series of people becoming enemies with Tara over the course it of the is. movie. She's collecting enemies. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it starts off with that. Oh, like, here's all this praise, but then the backside is, well, here's all the shitty stuff that yeah. you have to do to get yeah. set praise. And I'm just, I'm just unclear about, like, the movie seems to be setting up to tell you, oh, yeah, she sucks, and you agree. But... To the extent of how much she sucks is the question. And it doesn't go far enough to prove it. Well, it's to the extent of someone who is basically the power of their craft. Mm-hmm. To what extent do they just become very revered or feared? And yeah. while I was watching, I got the same kind of vibe of not just like John Williams who top of his craft mm-hmm. on being a conductor, but a very um, Kobe Bryant vibe of he was very known for being a yeah, more or less 
abusive, like mm-hmm. pushing people in, in in the locker room, pushing people to work out, trying to get the best out of people, and coming off as an asshole. Yeah, but but this is so. He, but the things that you got the rings for it, you got the yeah. accolades but, for it. But the difference here is that the things that are alleged that she has done are way worse. Yes, and the the, the comparison I think falls apart there, where it's like no, like I'm sorry, forcing someone out. Of the mm. city that they've called home for mm, not great. eleven years. No. Hmm. I don't know if Kobe ever did that to one big um, <laughs> Aristotle-like yeah. person, a cactus of a man. But the but the suggestions of what she has done with these young women. Yes, that's line-crossing behavior, and I think that depend. But again, the but Todd Field chooses not to show what happened in any of those situations. Which makes you have that doubt, but you shouldn't. But but why? What's the purpose of having that doubt when the rest of the movie is doing working so hard to prove that the, the, her fall from grace, right? So to me, how much of what Tar is saying, how many of the lines, like about like her feeling about well, let the art speak for itself and removing the art from the artist mm-hmm. and talking about that because there's speeches, constant speeches. At one point, a character who is obviously trying to defend, like, himself, clearly projecting, and Tar does a lot of projecting here as well, even compares kind of the ostracizing of alleged um, criminal behavior to, like, Nazi Germany. It's like, you can't have lines in your movie with that unless maybe you believe it, right? Like, that worries me. Like, I don't, like, you write the script from that perspective enough Maybe you sit with it and maybe you feel sympathy for these people. I don't want to believe that Todd Field has sympathy for Tar, but the script is so ambivalent and the way he directs it is so ambivalent that I have my doubts. Maybe he does. And that scares me and it makes me not like this movie. (laughs) That's okay. The only part you need to actually like about this movie (laughs) happens in the first act. That's why Kate Blanchett is going to win the Oscar here. That opening, uh, when she's teaching... It's just one long take that the camera moves around the classroom, moves the characters around, and Kate Blanchett just spews music theory <laughs> nonstop for what feels like 10 minutes yes. of a clear, uncut, single take. It's impressive. And that part's well written. It sounds like an a interview. Like, I think that stuff works. Like, a, like I said, very well-made movie. It's just that I have serious questions about what it's trying to say about this moment in history, mm-hmm. and I might lack of confidence in what that position is makes me feel queasy about where they want you to believe, like what they want you to believe Tar was right, and where they want you to believe Tar was wrong. Because I feel like she was wrong about everything, but I feel like the movie is telling me a different story. But again, I, when, I, when I went back and forth with Christy about this, she disagreed with me wholeheartedly. She said that she liked that it was open ended because. A lot of these situations should be uh, like uh, addressed open endedly, and you want to have that as a discussion, as a dis- like a piece for discussion, to feel how you feel. Like a lot of great art does, mm-hmm. but to me, I just I worry about how much of the silence is saying speaking loud louder than the, what's actually in the film. It's funny you bring up um, Todd's interest in this. Uh, um, because one, not only did he direct it, but two, mm-hmm. in that long monologue, it talks about separating the art from the artist. Yeah, and so and the whole because that's basically your inciting incident, and 
what will drive the rest right. of the film. It makes you wonder. It makes you where does it land on the end of exactly. it? And from the end of the movie, I can't tell. It doesn't want to tell. And that's th- it leaves it up to the audience of and, yeah. can you separate the art from the artist? It's not that I want every piece of art to tell me how to feel. Obviously, documentary mm. cinema is based on that fact. It's yes. trying not to. However, I have problems with the separation from art from the artist because I believe biases exist in every work. And to me, that that tells me like more about who's making this film than I want to know. And yeah, I don't feel great about it. But if you want to watch Tar and get your own take <laughs> on it, it's on Peacock. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a well-made movie that yeah, I'm, I have issues with is what I will say. But let's move on something that I don't know. Maybe you didn't have issues with. You watched Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, I had issues with it because I had no <laughs> idea what the hell I was getting into. Oh yeah, I still don't really know. Other than I mean, I could tell you what you're getting into. I mean, I mean, talk to it, talk about it within. You know, don't get too spoiler. Right, just in case so, we do watch Guillermo it. del Toro's Pinocchio is a stop motion animated feature film yes. about Pinocchio. You know, to be um, very different than the other Pinocchio that came out. This year, yeah, as well as Disney's Pinocchio that came out this year. That's right. In a year of three Pinocchios, Guillermo del Toro is the one that will reign supreme. <laughs> yes, turns out. Uh, so I don't know where this thing was going, especially when it starts off um, without Pinocchio. It starts off with just Geppetto and his real boy living in uh, the town of Italy. In town in Italy, very Italian film. Also, takes place during World War One. Was not expecting that. Okay. Um, also takes um, takes in themes of what it means to be a real boy and a man, and how like war can drive people to that. Um, okay. Especially like when different father figures are being thrusted upon you. Uh, not just with Geppetto, but also with war and Mussolini's yeah. in this and. Um, not Stromboli, but basically Stromboli, <laughs> uh, the the puppet master. Sure, it definitely goes some places, and there's music. It's a musical. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess because Ewan McGregor is the voice of Jimmy Cricket, um, he wants to sing in this thing. I was not expecting it to be a musical or have musical numbers. Uh, it is weird. Yeah. It goes places. I don't know if I actually liked it, but I was very <laughs> impressed by it. All right, okay. Seems it's, like it bites off a lot. Oh, it bites off a whole yeah. lot, just like Monstro does. <laughs> oh, it goes places. I was not expecting it to go places. Okay. And then when it went there, it was very weird and like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Um, basically, boils down to if you know the story from like Disney's Pinocchio and the general notion of what Pinocchio is. It goes places both before and after that story takes place, which helps both drive the narrative that you didn't know before, but also gives more of a finality to the end. Okay. I won't spoil the end. Yeah, I don't. But in my (laughs) mind, it made some gears turn of what exactly is like, much like with what Puss in Boots did, precious about life mm-hmm. what makes something alive living and worth makes life worth living okay interesting lots of layers yeah. lots of themes to this thing i was not expecting it to go this hard for <laughs> a uh for an animated pinocchio film but 
I guess that's why it's not an animated Pinocchio yeah. film. It is Guillermo del Toro's right. Pinocchio. And he, needs... and he can't just leave things on a surface level. Oh, yeah, no, he sets this up. Like, all he's done is talking about this film is to set it up as, like, it's not just a kid's movie. It's like, no. I want it to be so much more. I wanted to do all these things with it. And judging by what you're saying, it does all of that. And oh, it more. does a lot of that. Um, <laughs> do we have a chat? Oh, yeah, someone from India is chatting us. Oh, hi. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, it definitely goes places. Um, there's also a behind the scenes available on Netflix as well. Both of these are up on Netflix. So if you want to watch it, it's there. Um, or you can just let it win the Oscar and then be like, yeah, <laughs> it won because Guillermo del Toro. Right. Yeah. But it definitely went places I was not expecting it to. Okay. I can see why it keeps getting all these awards and nominations. Okay. But much like with Mitchells and Machines last year, which is probably the film you were thinking of. That's right. That is the film I was thinking of. Thank you. Um, where it did a lot of the um, anime, new animation style post uh, Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Curtain Red might win just because it's Disney. And it would be a shame. I don't think so. I still feel like I don't think so. But hey. Just because Guillermo Trumbo's name is Yeah, it's, his name's on the thing. Yeah. But it says a lot of things. It does a lot of different animation styles, different textures. I was very impressed with it. And like I said, it definitely goes places I was not expecting it to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, because it's Guillermo del Toro, there's a whole horror show in here. Oh boy! Okay, um, that you think would be like a, a happy? Oh, it's supposed to be a happy scene. No, <laughs> it's just straight up horrifying what he does because it it, it can be, especially in, in the state that the characters are in by this point. Mm-hmm. It goes places. I was not ready for it. I don't think most people going into this thing will be ready for it. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. We'll see. But we'll watch it with the awards. Yep. As the That's Oscars tomorrow are night. So, so yes, the drum roll begins uh, tomorrow night. Tune in for the Oscars and see how wrong or right we were. I'm excited to see. I think um, we typically get about uh, twenty out of twenty-four. I mean, last year we failed. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like that. We no, also didn't so watch sure. a whole lot last year because right. of the previous year was COVID. Yeah. But uh, so we'll see how well we do. But in the meantime, hey, we're not done with Media Bowl Podcast. We have more Media Bowl Podcasts than you can shake a stick at because we are in the midst of our March Madness brackets. If you've been listening to, uh, I'll just plug this real quick and then we'll go to the fan question. I'm not forgetting. Uh, our March Madness Relay our rails upon yes. us. Yes, uh, we are currently in the midst of the Taylor Swift Eras Tournament where we are rating every Taylor Swift song from her albums on a giant bracket, which we'll get to soon, uh, going through each era. And talking about them and comparing and contrasting the songs. So if you want to listen to that, that is on our podcast feed. So search Media Boat Podcast and your favorite podcast catchers. But yes, before we try we... to keep those episodes to an hour, but hell no. The last one did not happen. That this upcoming <laughs> one will not either because we get into the pop Taylor oh, yeah, and we have forty six songs to talk about. Something like that. A lot to talk about. But in the meantime, let's wrap up today with a fan question. Thank you for sending them in. If you want to ask a fan question, you can email us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we have this question. Now, I'm keenly aware that you guys love sports, movies, video games, and music. Not necessarily in that order. But what other hobbies and interests do you have on your free time? Play any instruments? Maybe cross-stitch? Cooking? Board games? Look forward to hearing your answers. So if you're on the YouTube um, page watching us, Behind me, 
Uh, sorry. Before this was here, you could see all the board games that I used to have. Uh, you could also see all the Legos that yes. I collect and routinely put up here. Uh, I do kind of do that in my free time. Uh, when we're not trying to consume a bunch of media <laughs> Yes. Uh, as per this podcast. Right. Um, I actually, actually do a lot of cooking, a lot of different recipes, uh, walking when I can, uh, when it's not raining outside. Uh, let's see here. Uh, interests, board games, stitches. <laughs> I don't know. I have a piano. I can play notes on a piano. <laughs> so I, I'm learning. That's actually one of the things I'm learning this year is to yeah. read music sheets. Right. Play piano. It's kind of one of my goals by the end of the year. Uh, New Year's goal is that we got a piano mid last year. And might as well I'm use lo- it. Might as, well use it. might as well learn how to play it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good goal. Try to try to learn that. I got a book uh, that I need to get back into practice of okay. learning how to play a piano and read music notes. All right. I can understand the keyboard now. I can read like one to one. Oh, that note right. is this. That note is this. But I'm still very basic of like putting string things together, like um, M E D I A, <laughs> just doing dot 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 yeah. dot and not reading it as media. Right, so, right, like right. that, and yes, I know there's no M scale. It goes A B C D E F yeah, G, know. and then back to A. I know that. I read the book. Every good boy does fine. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> Every good boy deserves fudge. Yes. Uh, but yeah. So um, okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, the piano by itself is like that's a that's a you do a lot of practice. Oh yeah, I try to take about an hour a day and yeah. try and practice it. Uh, of course, when no one's around, because it sounds like a uh, cat getting hit. <laughs> hey, it always starts that way when you're starting out. It'll get better and better. I'm it's sure. getting better. My my goal is to eventually just like commit to memory yeah. at least happy birthday. Yeah. So if I see a piano, so it's like happy birthday, yeah. it's someone's. <laughs> it's always someone's birthday here. Always, always, forever, and here too. Yeah, right now, turns out. Uh, but yeah, uh, as for me, um, I'm really big on crossword puzzles. I love a crossword. I try to do the New York Times every night mm-hmm. um, before I go to bed. It's a really nice way to decompress. Um, then um, I'm like also uh, getting into cooking um, better than I used to be. That's certainly true. Uh, trying new stuff all the time. Uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, to kind of experiment and figure out what, what I kind of want. Put my own spin on things. Um, and that's been a really cool experience to have now that I kind of have my own kitchen and kind of made me able to do whatever I want with it. Yeah, it's a good thing that, um, especially like with pastas, mm-hmm. as soon as you like get the basic down oh, yeah, pastas, you, you just, just combine improv. a oh, bunch yeah. of stuff. I improv every sauce I make. Yes. I'm just like, all right, this time, all right, some uh, garlic powder, onion, I'm going to do, the most recent thing I did was I tried a creamy uh, sauce with some um, uh, cream cheese. Okay. Yes. Whisk that in at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm. Perfect with some shells. Because I wanted a creamy sauce, but I didn't want to make mac and cheese. Right. And so I was like, all right, to take tomato sauce base and then cream that up. Yeah. And it tasted, tasted delicious. It really worked. With some veggie crumbles for some protein. Mm-mm-mm. Anyways, you, what, did I lose you with veggie crumbles? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, hey, live with a vegetarian. I do what I got to do. Uh, but yeah, and other than that, though, uh, I had some stuff I was thinking, and they've lost my, they flew flying out of my brain. Um, but yeah, uh, those are the big ones right now. Writing, yeah, I do every once in a while, still trying to keep that up. I guess fantasy sports is a hobby. Yeah, fantasy sports, absolutely yeah. a hobby. 
Um, yeah, I think those are the main ones. You run a dedicated Twitter account too. I mean, yeah, for baseball. <laughs> that's a hot, that's that's, a sport. That's a sport. Oh yeah, <laughs> we cover that ground. Yes, we cover that. Uh, anyway, but yeah, uh, I'll, yeah, that's probably that's probably it. I'm sure I'm forgetting things, but uh, that's good for now. I think so. We can wrap this up. So thank yep. you uh, for that question. Again, mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com is where you can email that and many other things. Anything you want us to know, anything you want uh, us to tell you, whatever. Feedback about the show, email us there. And in the meantime, we'll be back next week for another episode of this podcast. One of us will win. One of us will lose. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Talk, we'll Maybe talk we'll all about the, who walked okay. away with the Oscars next week. We'll see. But in the meantime, you can catch our video versions of the podcast on YouTube, our channel, mediaboatpodcast.com. Uh, just search that and find our channel. Like, subscribe, click the bell for notifications when we go live. You can find us in audio form on podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify. It's also where you can find our March Madness Bracket series, so check it out there as well. We're on Twitter at, at MediaBoatCast. Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast there. Catch us streaming video games pretty soon here on uh, twitch.tv slash MediaBoat. And then last but definitely not least, if you want to see writing, uh, that we've done, including uh, summaries of these podcasts and also a written-down version of our Oscar ballot, you can see that on MediaBoatPodcast.com. So, with that, thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back next time for more Media Boat Madness, so tune in then. Does golf count as a hobby? It's a sport. It's Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, <laughs> uh, golf, golf is a sport. Yes, and like paddleboard is a sport. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Anyways, all it's right. a hobby. See you guys next time. All right, we'll be back uh, next next week with more oh, news, more reading, thoughts. Reading. Read books. More us. Okay, bye. All right, bye. <laughs>